and we are on air for Fan for Racing, NASCAR Race Review, and Hot Topics Sound Off. Now, we're going to start off with the Bristol Dirt NASCAR Race Review tonight, but uh, in our first half hour, we're actually going to start off with some short track racing news and then some ARCA racing news uh, for all three series. Now, they did not race this weekend, but they will be racing the upcoming weekend. Jay and I will be previewing those races on Thursday night. We have our guests coming on board. Amber Balkan with the Arkham Menard Series uh, is coming on board. She races with Rhett Jones Racing this year. And uh, I'm definitely looking forward to chatting with her and getting to know her a little bit better. And then... Afterward, we will get into the NASCAR Truck Series at Bristol and on Dirt. That's going to be a fun race to review. And then at uh, 9.30, we'll, review, we'll update the City Series. They did not race this weekend either. And then we'll get into the Cup Series review at Bristol on Dirt. And uh, another exciting race with uh, a lot of good things and whatever to talk about. So definitely looking forward to uh, doing our reviews tonight, especially with my co-host tonight, Jay Huseman. Welcome. To- Thank you, Sharon. Got to wish a big shout out and happy birthday to Sal. I know he's normally the Monday night uh, guy uh, off celebrating his birthday. Hopefully not getting too wild and crazy though. Oh, I'm sure he's having a good time. Uh, and uh, I, too, want to wish him a happy birthday today. It's also Brian Curley's birthday tonight as well, another member of our family racing crew. So I hope they're having a good time on their birthdays, and we wish them the best. Okay, with that, let's go ahead and get into uh, some of the short track racing news from the weekend. Uh, Swingers... Uh, Kyle Bush, of course, won at Bristol, uh, but uh, there were some other things that were going on over the weekend uh, as well. So uh, Austin McDonald in late models. And this was a rain-delayed race that took place this weekend at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. It was pushed back 24 hours, but the show was well worth the wait. Uh, going into the Pro All-Stars event, McDonald's was most certainly the favorite. Eddie McDonald, number 17 MA, is just one win behind Cup Series star Kyle Bush for the most wins at New Hampshire Motor Speedway of all time. And uh, yeah, that's pretty cool to be neck and neck with somebody like Kyle Bush. Uh, most certainly, he already is one of those drivers of, if your name is mentioned in the same sentence as far as any kind of accomplishment, you're right. It's a high honor. Um, I'm glad to see they got this race in, and I know it got delayed 24 hours, but glad to see they got it in. Uh, you know, this time of year, we kind of battle that. We battled it a little bit at Bristol, uh, as we'll talk about. Um, as part of it when, it when it comes to spring racing and fall racing. In the fall, it's cold and chilly. In the spring, it's a little wet. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, we, last week on Thursday, we talked about the four-cylinder races that were taking place at Anderson. Uh, well, there was a winner there, too. Chris Jennings took the one at Anderson Speedway in the four-cylinders and compact. 
that's one of those, unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to uh, to watch. I know when we previewed it, got a little excited about it. I, I've got a friend of mine that's run with that series before. Um, so to, to see them getting the attention, uh, we talked about the different streaming platforms. To see these four cylinders in that series get the attention they got, uh, I like to see that. And congratulations to uh, Jennings on that victory. And some more news, and this actually affects North uh, NASCAR. Uh, racing is going to return to North Wilkesboro Speedway this summer. Uh, favorite races will take place in will take place in August for a series of dirt events that will take place in October. So uh, uh, that is very very exciting uh, that fans will be able to see North Wilkesboro Speedway. Uh, with some racing action. Most certainly. Uh, I know we got this on our list for hot topics, uh, and I'm sure there's some uh, hot opinions on said topic, but it is great to see. I know we, we it's been coming, talked about for a while. Um, I can't think of what the campaign was called, but the money being put in to rejuvenate uh, North Wilkesboro. I don't think that's the word they use, but bring but racing back there at any level. Racing right now we're starting. Revival, there we go. Yep, there we go. I knew it was an R word. Um, but to see that and see the community get behind it and bring that back, like I said, at whatever level, right now they're going to do some asphalt on it as it is. Uh, looked like uh, looking at that schedule, quite a few different. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what series and, and classes they do get in there. Then do the, do the dirt, put some dirt on it, run it on dirt, and then the repave in the following year. Um, and it'll be interesting to see, and I, I know we'll talk about this in Hot Topics, so where it goes from there. But right now, just to see racing back at that historic track is great to see. It definitely is. And, and uh, Marcus Smith, the CEO of Speedway Motorsports um, and president, said that Dale Earnhardt Jr. is the one who kind of initiated the idea when they did a scan of that track for iRacing back in 2018. Uh, that got Smith to thinking uh, and mulling over the feasibility of restoring the property and uh, he met with, uh, with state and local government and they all banded together to make it happen. So that's really good uh, to see that happening within the community as well. Well, there, there's a hot topic of itself. Uh, when Dale Hart Jr. gets involved with something or his name is behind <laughs> it, endorsing it, yeah, generally tend to see things happen. <laughs> that is so true. Uh, I want to mention, too, uh, Jay, uh, that, uh, and this is something that I've been meaning to mention for a while and I keep missing it. You know, in May, uh, they're going to do... Uh, the Better Half Bash uh, that's sponsored by, presented by U.S. Legend Cars and MRO. Um, they're going to do that again, but it's going to be an iRacing event to benefit MRO this year. So past champions are going to be there to defend, uh, and there's some talented newcomers that are coming into the competition as well. So uh, it's interesting that they're making that an iRacing event this year. Well, and I believe, is this the first year they're doing it on iRacing? Because I thought they did during the COVID year, did they not? I, I can't remember if they did it during COVID or not, did they? I know. 
Uh, I'm to see if I can find something on that, but I'm glad to see that they're having it. Either way, I know uh, my opinion. I'd rather see them on the track, but to still be doing it in any format, being that it is an iRacing one, um, to to see it happen regardless, and again for such a great cause, um, to see that and and the better halves being involved. I, I really do like to see that no matter what uh, form, shape, or fashion. So that's really great to see. Um, and, again, it goes for such a good cause. It really does. And uh, just to mention some of the drivers that are going to be participating in that, we've got Marissa Briscoe. Her crew chief, of course, is going to be Chase Briscoe. There's uh, Cami Creed with Sheldon Creed as her crew chief. Kennedy Galding will have Taylor Gray on top of the pit box, McCall Galding, Zane Smith. Kinsey Hemrick will have Daniel Hemrick on top of her pit box. Jennifer Ives will have Gray Dives as her crew chief. Uh, Kristen Labani will have Bobby Labani on top of the pit box. Then there's uh, Jamie Lambert. Noah Gregson's going to be the crew chief there. Uh, Kate Lummins, Lummis. We'll have Greg Stump on top of the pit box. Taylor Nemechek, of course, will have John Hunter Nemechek as her crew chief. Jacqueline Reagan will have David Reagan. Jennifer Self, who has won this event, will have Austin Wayne Self on her pit box. And Megan Smith will have Regan Smith as her pit uh, crew chief. Uh, So this is for a really, really good cause, uh, the uh, MRO. And you're right, it's, it's such a worthwhile cause. And uh, it's good to see some new names on that list, as well as um, some of the people that we've seen racing this event in the past. And, and that, as you talked about some of those names, I am now fairly certain, because the Race Hub did coverage of it when they had it uh, the last time with the, the different spots where they had the simulator sent up. Some of them don't have their own and we're borrowing different ones or in different locations. But I remember him, the drivers, Bobby Labonte specifically being behind uh, behind his wife, talking about as the crew chief of, he really wasn't uh, crew chiefing a whole lot. He knows better. Um, he said, I don't remember how he said it, of maybe subtly giving advice once in a while. And I know we had the couple on that talked about it um, prior to doing it as well. Um, Help me out, Jennifer and Austin Wayne. So there, there we go. Uh, to have them on on the show and talk about it, interview as a couple was really great. Um, so again, really looking forward to it. Again, like I said, I would rather see it on the track, but logistically wise, and I know more people can be involved if they don't have the sim. Somebody that they know can. So if that's the direction it's got to go, I am excited that they are doing it. I am, too. Uh, It's going to be on May the 19th. Uh, So, uh, and they're going to be racing uh, prior to the all-star race at Texas Motor Speedway. So that's going to make it exciting, too, to have it as part of that event. Uh, And there's $10,000 on the line, winner take all, uh, and that money will be donated to the charity of their choice. So, uh, again, the Better Half Racing, iRacing Dash to benefit MRO uh, on May the 19th, if you want to mark your calendars for that, prior to uh, the Better Half, I'm sorry, that prior to the All-Star Race at Texas Motor Speedway. 
Well, in that winner-take-all format, let me tell you, that always uh, amps things up a little bit because, uh, you know, nobody likes to run second, but if it doesn't pay anything, uh, it's even that more intense. Yes, indeed. Now, before we move on to the Arkham Menard Series, I want to make sure I mention that over at Pro Racing, they have highlights from the inaugural Larson Late Model Challenge uh, that took place this weekend. I watched part of it, uh, but uh, you'll want to check that out. Uh, they've got all the highlights over there at Pro Racing. Well. You certainly want to check it out as one of those is uh, talking about getting to race against the best of the best. Uh, I know we talked about it uh, as we were doing some updates during our preview show. It was indeed the Winfield Warrior, Mike Marler, picking up that victory, huge victory for him. Uh, I know, Sharon, you let me bring him on even just as a straight dirt guy. He's had a couple of NASCAR starts. We'll talk about him in the Bristol truck race. But a huge win for him, and, and just the atmosphere of that was huge. I'd really love to have him come on and talk about the Bristol Dirt Race and, and get his thoughts about that at some point. Say that again? Have to do it. I said I'd love to have him come on and give us his thoughts about the Bristol Dirt Race. I will. Uh, I'm trying to think when the next time I might even be able to bump into him, but I will certainly reach out to him and, and see if uh, he'd be willing to come on again. Uh, I will uh, make some calls on that. Okay. Okay. Let's go ahead and now and move on to the Arkham Menard series. Uh, they've been off for a while, so it's really good uh, to be talking about them coming back to the racetrack this weekend. So there's going to be two races, two series, two different parts of the country series racing April 23rd at noon central, 1 o'clock eastern at Talladega Super Speedway. The General Tire 200 will be televised on Fox Sports 1. Uh, Looking forward to talking to Amber Balkan about that uh, because she's going to be participating in that race. And uh, I think this is her first time at Talladega Super Speedway. Always great to talk to a driver that's getting that opportunity uh, the first time going to a, to a, a super speedway such as Talladega. I know we, we had uh, Van, Greg Van Alston when he was going to Daytona for the first time. Uh, and then it, if we can catch up with her again later on down the road, like you mentioned, the after, uh, you know, the experience of after mm-hmm. and, and what they take away from it, uh, always interesting as well. Absolutely. But on the other side of the country, on the same date, April the 23rd, at 8.15 p.m. Eastern Time, I'm sorry, that's 8.15 Pacific Time, it would be 11.15 Eastern Time, uh, the Arco West will be racing the Salute to the Oil Industry Napa Auto Parts 150 at Kern County Raceway Park. Now, that race will be live streamed on Flow Racing, so you can watch that race in its entirety over at Flow Racing. Uh, I think that is so cool that we can do that now. There's still the, the delayed broadcast for those who don't have Flow Racing, but it's really great to be able to watch it live. It is, and this is one of those, I know we talk about the gaps between some of these uh, series races. We used to go through it with the truck series, not quite as bad, but the anticipation it builds, you'll get excited to see them coming back, both the Arkham and Ard series and then as well as the West series. 
especially as we watch some of these points battles. We know they're still kind of early in the season and shaping themselves out to see who's emerging as the top championship contenders or if it shuffles it up even more and could lead to some of the tight battles we've seen, especially on the West. Yes, indeed. So uh, there's a couple of races in the books already, but now this will be uh, this will kind of sort out the uh, series point standings in that series as well. Speaking of the point standings, before we go to the other races, which are a little bit further down the road, let's go to the points for the Arca Menard series as well as the Arca West. All right. Uh, looks like I can pull up the main Arca Menard series. I know we kind of covered this on Tuesday. We got two races in. Uh, Daniel Dye, currently your points leader, having picked up two top fives already. And Raja Karuth, one top five, 11 points separating those top two. Then we got Parker Chase, Tony Breidinger, Nick Sanchez uh, as your top five, all having competed in both races. Now, this is where we talk about the, uh, the point situation. Corey Heim, Taylor Gray, and Sammy Smith currently sit in sixth through eighth. Amber Balcon also making two starts. Right now it's 42 points out. We'll see how that shifts up as some of these won't be in the Talladega race. So uh, look for some point shuffling there as we go through this third race of the Arkham Menard series. Really like the fact of seeing Daniel Guy, Raja Carruth, two that we've had on early in their career as they're getting uh, not just uh, settled in the Arkham Menard series, but we've seen Raja making some Xfinity starts as well as Parker Chase. Yeah, we were supposed to have Raja Karuth on uh, about a week ago, and he had something come up and wasn't able to be on the show, but we have rescheduled his appearance. I'm hoping we can get him on on April the 28th, uh, Thursday. That's a Thursday, Jay, and uh, we can talk to him about racing in the Arkham Series as well. So uh, look for Raja Karuth somewhere down the road here. Well, and that's always cool to have them on the Thursday on the preview show. Uh, certainly, again, you get that before look at a track coming coming up or a race coming up, um, as well as talking about the, his season so far, which has been uh, outstanding, and mention that opportunity to be running in the Xfinity Series. Yes, he's got some now, limited opportunities in the Xfinity Series. Um, let me see. I know. Oh, he's with uh, B.J. McClough Motorsports. I think uh, LeVar Scott is racing with Apple Racing. So both of them are racing, or not uh, LeVar, but um, Nick Sanchez. And I might have that backwards. <laughs> when we look at the, uh, the West Series points, uh, they're mentioned, the tight points battle. Uh, we've seen the West seems to have a, generally have the tightest points battle. Jake Drew, right now with two top fives, has a two-point lead. Tanner Reif, uh, Reef, sorry, picking up a victory. So he's got one top five, but it's a victory, only two points behind. Cole Moore is only four points behind. Austin Herzog in fifth, eight points back. Todd Souza, 12 points back in fifth. And six through tenth, uh, plus another one or two, one down the list. So, no, two have made all the starts. So all the way through 10th, Paul Pedronicilli Jr. in 6th, Joey East in 7th, Takuma Koga in 8th, Sebastian Aries uh, from, what did we look this up, Bogota, Colombia, 
um, in ninth, and then Bridget Burgess in tenth. Uh, only 26 points back there, all the way to tenth. So that's where we say that this third race is going to be really key in sorting that all out. Okay, and just to uh, correct my comment there, uh, Roger Carruth is actually racing without the Prime Racing in the Xfinity Series uh, for some limited races, and Nick Sanchez is racing with BJ McLeod Racing in the Xfinity Series uh, part-time this season. So just I wanted to make sure I gave the correct information there. Did have it flip-flop but straightened it out, so good deal. Yes. Okay, so, yeah, this um, ARCA West series last year was the most exciting series to watch. Uh, They really uh, did a lot to uh, uh, be competitive, and and there were, like, several drivers uh, where you didn't know who was going to be on top uh, when it was all said and done. So it's nice to see Jake Drew at the top and a right. Uh, is in second place, uh, and uh, we've had Tanner, uh, I know, on the show uh, to talk about his season this year. And his second start, he was able to come home with that victory. So really excited to see what Tanner is going to be able to do uh, continuing with this season. Well, and it's always so great uh, to to see these drivers as they they begin building and I know, Sharon, you go back further than I do uh, when you talk about uh, getting to know Cole Custer. As I came in, it was Todd Gill and Harrison Burton um, that were doing it, mm-hmm. uh, Todd running for both championships. I mean, I think about it of then of, of getting to know him at age 15, 16. He's now at the cup level as well as uh, Harrison Burton. So these drivers we're talking about now in these races, you got to keep your eye out. You mentioned uh Raja Caruth and uh, Nick Sanchez getting the Xfinity start. As they get into these rides, they're going to start becoming more well-known across the uh, NASCAR's top three national series. So you can see who they are and get to know them and, and follow along and be invested in them already now at this level. Exactly. Drivers like Joey Logano, Kyle Larson, uh, Daniel Suarez, all those drivers started at these levels uh, before they got into the NASCAR Cup Series. So uh, Justin Algo is another driver. It's just amazing how these guys uh, uh, start at these levels and advance their careers into NASCAR's top three. So it's always a lot of fun uh, to see that happen. But uh, more importantly, that's what the Arkham Menard Series is all about, is giving these drivers a chance uh, to develop their skills on bigger racetracks. They're so used to racing on the, all the smaller racetracks. The Arkham Menard Series gives them a chance to race on the track like Talladega Super Speedway uh, and, uh, you know, some of these bigger tracks. So it's a good experience for, for anybody who has aspirations to be a NASCAR's top three. You're right. And, and we've even heard if that they from don't. Several dry- <laughs> Well, and that's that's true too. Uh, I was going to say it's kind of like the truck series. You got that mixture of veterans, some of these that do stay in some of these local series or race at local tracks. Uh, you know, out on the West Coast, I know um, Trevor Huddleston is one that seems to 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 have stayed there. I think he's made a one or two Xfinity starts, 
that that's his, where he's he's comfortable with and wants to stay and puts on a good show. He's been involved in a couple of those points battles we talked about. But you also mm-hmm. mentioned there that experience and opportunity as they do get into the Arkham Menard series. Um, the East and the West still pretty much stick to, to the shorter tracks, smaller tracks, because they are such young drivers. But also then on certain stages, they do get to race at the same tracks or have cup stars, top-level stars come and race with them, be around them, at least on the stage for that weekend, um, getting to know them. And, and that's there, too, is kind of what helps elevate their career. Think back to Kyle Busch, uh, having seen Eric Jones. I think it was Kevin Harvick that first said he went door-to-door with Joey Logano and said, hey, somebody needs to take a look at this kid. Exactly, exactly. I think Joey Logano... Uh, really made a good name for himself when he won at Montana. Uh, not Montana, it was uh, Auto Club Speedway that he raced at. Maybe that is Montana. They, they really, uh, uh, he's got a lot of people's attention when he won that race. So uh, uh, a lot of people uh, really gain a lot of notoriety when they're able to win these races. Okay, uh, now we've got our guests coming on board here in a few minutes, Jay, and I want to um, uh, make sure that we uh, mention uh, some things here about Amber Balkan, who's going to be coming on board here. Uh, she is actually a Canadian uh, race car driver who is now in the USA racing in the Arca Menard Series. She's from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, and uh, she races full-time in the Arca Menard Series for Rhett Jones Racing with Icon Direct on board as her sponsor. Now, uh, she is a third-generation race car driver, and she made a bit of history in 2016 when she became the first Canadian female to win a NASCAR-sanctioned race in the United States. That was uh, the NASCAR, well, at that time it was the Wheel and All-American Series. It's now the Advanced Auto Parts Weekly Touring Series. So uh, really exciting uh, history-making opportunity there for Amber. Uh, now, she, last year she competed on a part-time basis in the Arkham and Art Series West with Bill McAnally Racing. And uh, that opened the door for her to now race with Rhett Jones Racing full-time in the Arkham and Art Series. So uh, definitely looking forward to learning more about Amber Bell. Um, she was able to get that ride at Bill McAnally Racing through their Drivers Academy that they do every year. And uh, she, she uh, kind of uh, turned some heads, I guess, with that experience. And that's what got her the ride with Bill McAnally Racing. And that's where you talk about it. And we've talked about this. I know uh, Bill McAnally has moved on and, and, and has some uh, is doing some with the truck series with Derek Krause. Um, another one that came from that West Series, but still providing that opportunity in the West Series as well as um, in the East, that opening door, uh, having the academy, bringing them in, as they get through those rides and show their performance and capabilities there, the opportunities and doors that it opens, the people that are become vi- that they become visible to um, through many different ways, 
but that just that opening door of getting their foot in the door, if you will, and then displaying their talent and, and what it leads to. Exactly right. Uh, so, uh, you know, she grew up with racing in her family. Uh, she's been racing herself since she was 10 and uh, has had a lot of success along the way. And now she's taking this next step into the Arkham Menard Series with the full-time ride at Rhett Jones Racing. So uh, Mark Rhett is her crew chief, and um, that's kind of cool as well, uh, that she's able to have him on top of her pit box. It is, and I know he is one that when we talk about um, the influence that, that a coach, uh, owner, crew chief can have, uh, Mark Red is one that be surprised at how many drivers make reference to to him, um, even if it is not directly under under his tutelage, though, that have talked about him as far as one that they talk to. Exactly. Uh, she was here for just a moment. Uh, I think she stepped away. She hopefully will be calling back in and we'll bring her into the queue. Uh, but. Um, uh, I've been looking forward to talking with her uh, on the show here tonight, and, and we have her now, Amber Balkan, a uh, full-time racer with the Arkham and Art Series and Rhett Jones Racing. Welcome to the show, Amber. Thank you for having me. Well, we're really excited to have you on the show. Uh, I know that you raced part-time with uh, Bill McAnally Racing last season in the Arkham West Series. This year, you're taking the uh, jump into the Arkham and Art Series full-time uh, with Rhett Jones Racing, and Mark Rett is your crew chief. Talk about uh, making that transition. You've got two races under your belt so far, and then a race coming up at Talladega. Yeah, so last year, I was part of the BMR Drivers Academy, which is a program that Bill McAnally put together to kind of help people like me get seat time who really lack seat time um, and get in the car for a good amount of races with it uh, not costing quite as much. So we did that along with a couple ARCA West races just to kind of get our feet wet in the ARCA series, um, feel kind of all what it is about, get used to the cars, used to the type of racing. And um, thankfully my sponsor, Icon Direct, you know, they, they were ready to move up with me. And so we decided to race in the Arc Menard Series. And then when it came to choosing a team for the Arc Menard Series, you know, I, I talked to quite a lot of teams, had a lot of conversations. And um, there's something about Margaret that just uh, felt right. And I'm really, really happy that I went with my instincts and signed with Brett Jones Racing because uh, they're a great group of people, and I, I know I'm going to learn a lot from Mark. Yes, indeed. Now, you've got two races, uh, Daytona as well as uh, Phoenix Raceway, uh, and things you're going to be racing at Talladega, another super speedway. Is there anything that you've learned at Daytona that you can kind of bring with you into Talladega this weekend? Yeah, definitely. Daytona was my first super speedway, so a lot that's new, you know, drafting, managing the air and the gap between the cars, um, the speed, and just, I mean, it's just a completely different experience being on a super speedway compared to a short track. So um, having gone through that and, and kind of having a good idea of what that feels like now, I have a lot more confidence going into Talladega. So I'm super excited. We've had over a month off, and I'm really excited to just get back to the track 
in the car. And um, now that I do have the comfortability on super speedways, you know, see what we can accomplish. We got 16th, our super speed speedway debut, but I know we got a lot more in us. I know a lot more in me. So um, we're definitely looking for a good finish at Talladega. Okay. And that was going to be one of my next questions. I know that uh, uh, you've worked with Eric Holmes, uh, who is a successful racer out in the West. Uh, and, uh, I'm wondering, is she going to come to Talladega with you this weekend? Yeah, he is. I actually just talked to him this morning and we worked together with Bill McNally last year and, um, he's able to do quite a few races for me this year spotting. So, you know, having him at Daytona, a voice that was comfortable and that I was used to is definitely nice. And so he'll be there at Talladega with me too. Oh, that's great news. Uh, now what is your, uh, expectations going to Talladega uh, top 10 top 15 what are your what is your goal yeah I just want to really execute on everything that I've been working on during this break right now and um, making sure that uh, you know I execute on every single aspect from the start to just keeping calm and smooth in the car and staying out of trouble. You know, we did a good job staying out of trouble in Daytona, but I think we could have improved on our restarts and just made sure we were up uh, more towards the front of the pack. So that's the goal for this this weekend at Talladega is just to um, run in the front of the pack. You know, I would I would like to get a top 10. I'd be super happy with the top five, but I think as long as we're progressing each race and our results are moving up and up, then um, we're on the right track. Okay, that's uh, really good. Now, we have our co-host on board here tonight as well, Jay Huseman, and I know he has some questions for you too, Amber, so I'm going to pass the microphone over to uh, Jay. All right, thank you, Sharon. Uh, Amber, you, you mentioned having that break, and that, my questions kind of lend towards that. First, uh, first I want to say, uh, Sharon talked about it uh, prior to you coming on, being a third-generation racer. So I get the feeling I might know the answer to this question, but I want you to tell the fans, on, on the scale of w- where you are with the car, um, how do I put this? We've seen, a, and I say older school, drivers that, I mean, worked on the car, built the car, raced the car, to some drivers now that have come through iRacing and don't know as much per se on the mechanical side and, and don't work on the car. And Kyle Larson comes to mind. He'll, he'll tell you that. Where do you fall in, in that scale um, as far as being hands-on on the car? Yeah, that's a great question. So when I started racing at 10 years old, basically um, my dad said you can race, but you have to be able to work on the car. And you also have to pay for the car yourself. So you have to go and race sponsorships and um, get as much money as you can to be able to buy a go-kart. So um, whole dirt track racing career, I worked on the cars myself, um, got all the sponsorship for it. Now that we're in the NASCAR side and the pavement side, it's a very different industry. These cars are very different from the sprint car, dirt sprint cars that I was used to working on. And um, as much as I am still learning these cars, I'm not as hands-on in the shop with the guys as I was in my dirt career because now I'm so focused on, you know, doing everything on the marketing side for my sponsors to make sure that, you know, we have a car to race in the next year. So um, most of my efforts are spent in the gym, watching film, on iRacing, um, doing obligations for my sponsors, thinking of new ways that I can create return on investment for my sponsors. Um, and trying to get new sponsors to come on board for uh, the races towards the end of the year and next year. So most of my efforts are spent 
um, outside of the garage, but I promise you we, we're still working a lot for, for it. Well, and you, you did a great job there because you actually kind of answered my next question. And I understand as you get up in the higher levels uh, of that, you know, you have a team that has engineers and stuff. Of, you, you mentioned not being as directly hands-on, but the involvement you have with the crew and setups and, and what they're doing specifically, maybe for you or if they're trying to do a work with you to match the setup that they know works. Um, Walk us through a typical week of, you mentioned the balance of what you're balancing with uh, sponsors, uh, which we know is a big part now, um, being at the shop or being with the crew and, and preparing. I know I saw your uh, photo, you're getting ready to head out to, I believe, Bakersfield, California. So what's the balance throughout the week of balancing that? So my week basically looks like I train with a driver-specific trainer, um, for an hour and a half a day, we do everything from um, physical fitness to mental fitness with uh, the different sensory kind of, I don't want to say games, I guess training, sensory training uh, that drivers need uh, when we're in the car. So a lot of sensory training, a lot of fitness training. I work out twice a day, um, five to six days a week, depending on if we have a race that week. And then I'm on my iRacing for about an hour or so a day. And then most of the other time is spent watching footage of the tracks we'll be going to, debriefing from the last races to see where we can improve, and um, just working a lot with my sponsors on how to create the most amount of value for them. Um, I'm a big reader in self-development, so I read a lot of mental edge books, um, performance books, um, just to make sure that my mind's just as right as, as my physical body as well, because... As much as these races are physical, they're definitely mental. So I think to be exercising both is very important. Well, that's great. I, I'm sure I can feel that you're all in on this. My last question here comes from you'll get a lot of attention uh, as far as a female driver being that you, you're coming in, and it's not as much as it was, but as a minority. The other factor, though, we talk about drivers uh, racing at their home tracks for a particular state or area. You actually represent a, a country, um, an entire country, to, to come at being from, from Canada. Talk about that a little bit of, of the national pride in that case uh, of bringing that to the U.S. and getting first for Canadian drivers. Yeah, it's really special to me. I, I'm very, very grateful to get to race down here in the U.S. and now call it my home, but I'm very proud to be Canadian. I think it's really cool that I'm the only fe full-time female in the Arkham Menard series right now. So I definitely take a lot of pride in that and want to do as well for my country as possible. You know, it's tough getting down here to get the visa and, and everything like that, but it, it was well worth it, and I'm just super grateful to be racing amongst the best there is. All right. Well, I appreciate the time. I'm going to turn it back over to Sharon here as uh, she uh, has a couple more questions and then uh, wrap up with some shout-outs for you. So, Sharon? Okay, Amber. Uh, you you mentioned about how your dad uh, said if you wanted to get into racing, you had to uh, be able to support it in a number of ways. And I know you bought your first uh, car, uh, racing car, and uh, you're also very much involved in getting your sponsors. Icon Direct is one of the biggest sponsors uh, that you have. You mentioned them as well. Talk about how much time that takes for you to uh, 
address the sponsorship side of the business? Yeah, absolutely. I would say for the last eight years, I've probably worked 12 plus hours a day on finding a sponsor. And it was the last year um, that I that we connected and we made it happen. But um, for anyone that's listening that wants to get in racing and is, you know, trying to find sponsors to race or to move up to the next level, uh, it just takes time. And the first time I tested an ARCA car was in 2014 at Daytona. It's now 2022. And I just had my Daytona start uh, a few months ago. So a lot of time, a lot of hard work, a lot of efforts, a lot of no's, a lot of maybes, um, but all it takes was that one yes. And for Icon Direct to come on last year and continue with me and move up the ranks in the Arc and Arc Series this year is amazing. I'm super grateful for them. Their branding fits with my branding. You know, we're both kind of underdogs and had to work really hard to get where we are today. And um, it also just fits within the NASCAR industry, you know, RVing and um, – NASCAR, they go hand in hand. There's going to be hundreds of thousands of uh, campers all along Talladega and Daytona and throughout the whole year. So to have RV parts manufacturer as my sponsor, it definitely makes a lot of sense. And I'm super grateful that they're out of my home province of Manitoba. So it's cool that I get to represent a Canadian brand down here in the States, but also, you know, make them make their investment worthwhile being in NASCAR. Exactly. Now, I know you also uh, have a lot of opportunity to interact with fans. Uh, you're a motivational speaker. Uh, you've got fans that you have probably brought with you from your television days. Um, when you're at, do you interact with the fans, and especially out in the RV parks? Yeah, definitely. I love interacting with the fans. I think the fans are what make the sport so great. You know, without the fans, we wouldn't have NASCAR. So, I think it's super important for drivers to always take time to talk with the fans. And when we do have autograph sessions, I'm always looking forward to them and um, taking pictures and signing autographs. It's it's all a really fun part of the sport. So I'm very grateful for the fans I do have and, and hope to gain a few more uh, this season. Yeah, it's such a great fit with the RV uh, parts and manufacturing. So uh, that's really kind of cool. Now, I want to get your thoughts real quick on we did some racing out at Bristol on dirt uh, this past weekend and NASCAR <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of varying opinions about uh, NASCAR racing on dirt uh, what are your thoughts because you have a dirt background uh, in racing and uh, these cars are not really made to race on dirt uh, but what are your thoughts about NASCAR racing on dirt at uh, Bristol Motor Speedway. I thought they put on a great show, but I want to get your thoughts because I don't have a dirt background. Yeah, I think it's absolutely fantastic. I love seeing NASCAR on dirt. I watched all the races this weekend, and I thought they were great. You know, the previous year, it was a little messy. They were kind of just working out the kinks of it all because, obviously, dirt track racing is quite different than pavement racing. But I think they worked out some of the kinks, and they put on a great show, both the trucks and the Cup Series this year. And we have two dirt races of our own on the ARCA schedule, so I'm really looking forward to it. Yes. Now, sprint cars are very different than these cars. They're very lightweight, open wheel. So there is still a big difference, but it, at the end of the day, it is dirt track, and I'm really, really excited to race those. Okay. And is there a NASCAR driver that you look up to? 
Um, there, I look up to a lot of them for a lot of different reasons. I mean, I respect all of them, and yeah, I, I look up to a lot for a lot of different reasons. Um, some I look up to for work ethic, some sheer talent. Um, there's a lot of different aspects, but I wouldn't say I have one in particular. There's just certain things of certain drivers that I look up to. Okay. Well, having Eric uh, Holmes, uh, uh, you know, as part of your team, I think is, is really big. Um, now, before you go, I want to give you a chance to do any shout-outs that you want to do and also to make sure the fans know how they can follow you, follow you on social media uh, because uh, I know you've got a lot of racing coming up here in the Arkham Yeah, we do. We have 18 races left. The next one is Talladega, which is going to be really fun and really exciting. Um, and you guys can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, at Amber Balkan 10. On Facebook is at Amber Balkan Racing. Um, my last name is spelled B-A-L-C-A-E-N. And then also my race team, Rhett Jones Racing. They're on Twitter and Instagram as well. And please follow my sponsor, Icon Direct. They're an RV parts manufacturer. If you need any aftermarket RV parts for your RV, head to icondirect.com. They also just came out with this really cool product uh, called the Aero Shield, and it's for trucks to actually save money on gas. It's, it's a gas saver. So if you have a camper trailer and you want to save gas money on that, then go check out these Aero Shields. They're really cool. Okay, fantastic. Amber, it's great having you on the show tonight. We hope it's not the last time you come on board, and we hope we get an opportunity to talk to you uh, somewhere throughout the season this year. Well, sounds good. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Okay, Amber, and good luck out at Talladega. We hope you get that top 10 finish. Thank you. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Take care, and uh, we'll talk to you again. Sounds good. Thank you. All right. That is Amber Balkane, Canadian Canadian driver racing with Rhett Jones Racing this season. Uh, We covered a lot of ground there, but uh, you can see her on the track in the number 30 Rhett Jones Racing uh, car this weekend for the Arkham Menard Series. Uh, and they are racing on Saturday. Uh, so there's a lot to look forward to in that ARCA racing event. Well, and I think we're going to see her racing a lot into the future. Just, just in that short 15 minutes, you heard from her, from her past with growing up with the go-karts, what was instilled by her family, again, third-generation racer, and what she is doing now for the team she is, as she elevates up of what she is willing to commit to the team from the sponsor side, not just uh, fulfilling sponsor commitments, but going out and getting new ones and interacting with them, uh, I think is a huge aspect. I I see that taking her very, very far. Yes, and I like her confidence taking what she learned from uh, Daytona and taking it to Talladega and, you know, looking for that top ten. Uh, this weekend, so it's going to be a lot of fun following her uh, as she continues throughout these next 18 races in the Arkham Menard Series. Okay, uh, let's go ahead and move on, Jay, to the Camping World Truck Series. They raced this past weekend out at uh, Bristol Motor Speedway on dirt. Uh, I thought it was a very exciting race. Did you get a chance to watch it? 
I most certainly did. Uh, uh, the truck race, I actually was in the chat room with Mike. The cup race, I, I got watched on uh, replay there as it got extended a little bit. But the truck race, I thought, was phenomenal. Um, I know when we get to hot topics, we'll talk about maybe a little. We saw improvements from last year to this year. Got to give a big shout-out to Bristol, the crew, the track prep. Uh, I think every driver said it. It was so much better than last year. The um, decision to move it to the nighttime, obviously a good choice. And you're right, they put on one heck of a show. Yes, they did. Uh, I, I know um, Ben Rhodes made a bit of a mistake, but he was able to recover from that. So that says a lot about his racing skills. Uh, they raced 200 laps at the first motor speedway on dirt uh, on Saturday night. Uh, and with the late rally, Ben Rhodes uh, took home that very hard-earned truck series victory from Bristol Motor Speedway. Uh, there was a mistake in communication uh, about coming to Pitt Road after that first stage. He stayed out instead of coming to Pitt Road, uh, so it kind of put him off, off uh, kilter, if you will, for the uh, pit strategy. Uh, but he was able to charge to the front in the closing laps of Saturday's Pinty's Truck Race on Dirt at Bristol. Uh, and he kind of uh, passed Kyle Hose, or I'm sorry, Carson Hosevar, who was looking for his first uh, win in the truck series. So it was disappointing for Carson, but uh, very good, of course, for uh, Ben Rhodes. Uh, and so that qualifies him for the playoffs. Uh, that will be coming up this fall. It was his first win of the season, the first at Bristol, and the sixth of his career. Hostler ended up settling for second place. John Hunter Nemechek finished in fourth place. Parker Kligerman uh, came in fifth. The next five drivers were Christian Eckes, who was the pole, pole I'm sorry, Christian Eckes, the pole winner, Joy Logano. Chase Elliott was in this race and Grant Infinger along with Matt Crafton and, Tan, I'm sorry, Zane Smith were the remainder of the top 10. Uh, so Rhodes led 95 of 150 laps. He won both stage one and two as well as stage three. He pitted after stage two and then had to fight his way back to the lead with just three laps to go. There was a six-minute red flag with 50 laps remaining after Matt Benedetto and Austin Wayne Self made contact, and their two trucks got stuck together. So NASCAR had to stop the race in order to separate the two drivers. There were three lane changes among two drivers, nine cautions for 41 yellow flag laps, the average speed of the race was 40.957 miles per hour. Uh, it was uh, his sixth victory, Ben Rhodes' sixth victory in 147 NASCAR Camping World Truck Series races. His first victory in fifth top ten finish this season. And his first victory in second top ten finish in two races at Bristol Motor Speedway on dirt. Uh, Carson Harsavar hosted his first top 10 finish in two races at Bristol on dirt and his third top 10 finish this season. John Hunter Nemechek hosted his 
first top 10 finish in two races at Bristol on Dirt. And Dean Thompson, who finished 16th, was the highest finishing rookie of the race. Uh, Jay, your thoughts about uh, the race results there for those top 10 drivers? Wow. Uh, how much time did we get to spend here on the truck series? There were so many great <laughs> stories. Start with that victory by Ben Rhodes. I know when they interviewed him in the break, uh, he, he wouldn't really admit the mistake that was made. Uh, kind of thought maybe he was protecting somebody else. When uh, the race was over, he said, yeah, that was my mistake, and I was going to make up for it. And you wouldn't believe he is not from a dirt background because he did it in dirt track fashion. I saw this already in practice and uh Prior to the race, you saw the way he was running, a very similar line to what I compared to Kyle Larson. He went up there, threw it up against the cushion, and ran the top side, ran him down, and made that pass and made a uh, move at the at the very end there. As Mike said, he can't oh, believe he made it. Sick. He had, wasn't it, though? I mean, and, and that's what dirt track <laughs> racing provides. Uh, you know, I know you asked Amber that. We, we've seen some different things in the news of who doesn't want dirt and who does. I don't understand how they want at least for one or two races a year to be able to showcase like that. Uh, it was amazing. It really now, was. With, uh, uh, and go ahead. No, you go ahead. It really was. I was. I, I just kind of was amazed by that move. Uh, that was a. Uh, that was a veteran move, if you will, uh, especially on dirt when you think about it, for Ben Rhodes to uh, take that uh, lead. And uh, also, I thought Parker Kligerman, uh, I was surprised that he was so good on dirt as well. We, we have seen that uh, every race Parker Kligerman has been in in that number 75 truck this year. I've been super impressed with um, that team really finding – a good situation with Parker Kligerman. Hopefully they can capitalize on that and continue building their program. Um, you mentioned, though, uh, and unfortunately is a story of both races, both the Cup Series and here in the Truck Series. With that story of success, you have the heartbreak of defeat. Uh, Carson yeah. Hosevar, you know, just absolutely beat down. You know, uh, he said, second, second is no good. <laughs> I won't repeat the word he used. The second is no good. <laughs> you know, to be yeah. that close, have control of it. Um, and I wouldn't say he did anything wrong. Yeah, I mean, he literally just got out drove there at the end. And that's what he said. He said he just literally uh, didn't have the car to really be able to race against Ben Rhodes in those final laps. Uh, but, uh uh, you know, I thought Carson Hosevar uh, really performed well on dirt race at Bristol Motor Speedway. I don't think he has anything to hang his head about, uh, but I know it, it is the anchors of defeat. Uh, if you're not winning the race and you get, you see that first win in sight, uh, it's so disappointing when it slips away. Uh, so I understand that. But I thought Carson Hosevar did an outstanding job. Um, in that race. Amo certainly did. You're right. I don't think other than, uh, you know, you know you were that close. Like I said, if you felt like you were a fifth-place truck car or fifth-place truck uh, and that's where you were at, that's one thing. But to know you had possibly the winning machine and it just not happened for whatever reason, uh, you know, 
Um, that is, uh, as they say, part of the growing pains. Uh, I think back to Ben Rhodes had it when uh, his first win could have come at, I don't remember what track it was, I want to say Kansas, but and he had to bolt and go through the radiator uh, and cost him. You know, that was, mm-hmm. would have been his first. And he clearly had the dominant truck, and, and that happened. Yes. You know, the agony he was in. <laughs> yes. So <clears throat> the margin of victory was point eight two fours of a second. Uh, there were two drivers that didn't make the field. Uh, Jessica Fries, but I know everybody was looking forward to seeing her race, uh, and Norm Benning. Uh, didn't make the field. I know that uh, Jessica will be back for the next Knoxville races on dirt, uh, so we'll look forward to seeing her again. Uh, there were eight caution fights for 43 laps, three lead changes among just two drivers, uh, Joy Logano and Ben Rhodes. Actually, it was three drivers um, uh, and Carson Hosevar. So uh, let's go ahead and hit the points report before we run out of time here, Jay. All right, well, with that, Ben Rhodes is your points leader, um, having picked up that race win. He's also got five stage wins for a total of 10 playoff points. Right now, second place is Chandler Smith, who is 38 points back. Stuart Friesen, minus 51. And then you got Zane Smith, has two victories, which gives him 10 playoff points. And then three stages, 13 points. Uh, ben Rhodes, I didn't realize how many stage wins he's been knocking down, having five stage wins, <laughs> Zane Smith having three. John well, Hunter Nemechek on, on, on that race. Yes, he did. Uh, he closed it out, swept the entire weekend there uh, on dirt. Um, John Hunter mm-hmm. Nemechek, we're seeing him start to come back to form, if you will. Doesn't have the victories yet, but 62 points back. Again, three-stage uh Victories for three playoff points. Then six through tenth, you got Christian Eckes, Ty Majeski, Tanner Gray. Mentioned Carson Hosevar. Obviously, that gave him a big boost moving up into the ninth place with that second place finish. And right now, the tenth and final spot for the cut line for playoffs, Matt Crafton. And he's right now 102 points back from the lead. But then you got to look right behind him. Grant Enfinger. We talked about whether or not he should be in the playoffs last year. Uh, splitting a ride is nine points behind Crafton. Derek Krause, Tyler Ankrum. We know he can be a championship contender. Parker Figerman. Now, Parker has only run four of the six races right now in 14th. And you got Matt DiBenedetto in 15th. Started off pretty, uh, pretty good with a couple of top tens to start the season. We've seen kind of seen that uh, wane a little bit. Hopefully he gets back on track as well. Yes, indeed. Uh, it's really good to see. Ben Rhodes is the defending champion from last year, uh, so it, it's really good to see him at the top of this list. Now, if the playoffs were to begin today, though, uh, I think – I, I might be wrong about this, but I think Zane Smith with his two wins might uh, jump ahead of him with uh, those two victories. He does right now with uh, with uh, 13 playoff points, uh, Ben Rhodes with 10. Um, but we got a couple more races here uh, before we even got, got to worry about that. I know we're keeping an eye on all the points right now. Um, that's Their job right now is going to be keep picking up those playoff points. And before we move to the Xfinity Series, real quick, the last thing I want to say, you mentioned it. Uh, I've never seen that in any kind of racing 
of two trucks hooked together and can't race their way. I've seen it where they crashed and then got hooked and they had to be separated, but still racing and couldn't separate themselves. That was a new one by me. (laughs) Yeah, I think they had it in the uh, recap today, a little bit of the bizarre uh, when that happened. Uh, those guys, I know they tried to kind of unhook themselves and just couldn't do it. It took the, the uh, track uh, personnel to come out there to uh, really get those guys unhooked. And that was the red flag uh, that uh, took them a while to um, uh, really get that taken care of. Uh, so, yeah, that was really strange. I've never seen that happen either. I've seen people get kind of hooked up. But usually they, they're able to kind of manage to get themselves on book. These guys tried, and it just wasn't going to happen. Well, and when they were twisting and turning, I'm like, either either Matt DiBenedetto's bumper's coming off, or uh, I can't remember who the other one was, his front end's coming off. I was like, I couldn't believe they could not get separated, that they had to throw the red flag to stop and separate them. Yes, it, it was really amazing. Uh, now, the, we are going to go ahead and move on to the uh, Xfinity Series here. They did not race out at Bristol Motor Speedway this past weekend. Their last race was uh, out at Martinsville Speedway. Uh, but uh, they are going to be racing this weekend at Super Speedway, the Ag Pro 300. Uh, that race will take place this Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Uh, they will have uh, qualifying, uh, and um, there's, there's, uh, that's going to be taking place this weekend, and I think that's going to be fun to watch. Uh, that will take place from 5.30 to 7 p.m., um, so we've got something to look forward to uh, with the Xfinity Series back on track. Let's cover the points report. Excuse me. Therefore, the uh, Xfinity series uh, as they get ready for this Talladega race. All right, it's loading on me now. And uh, one thing, the Talladega race uh, always a wild card, so be interesting to see how that all plays out. When we look at the point standings, though, um, AJ Allmendinger is your points leader with one win has built up a total of seven playoff points. Ty Gibbs, three victories as well as two stages, though, currently your top sitter as far as playoff points. Right now, second in points, 20 back, but does have 17 playoff points. Third place is Noah Gregson at uh, minus 42, but has a victory and three stage wins for eight playoff points. And you got Brandon Jones, minus 89, has a total of six play- points built up. And Josh Berry, um, those top four all have the have the victories. We'll get down to Austin Hill in a minute. But Brandon Jones in fourth, uh, one playoff point in sixth through tenth. Sam Mayer, Justin Algar, Daniel Hemrick, Ryan Sieg, and I mentioned Austin Hill. Uh, there's a couple of points scattered. Sam Mayer has one stage win. Daniel Hemrick has two. And then Austin Hill, right now in tenth, had that opening win at Daytona. So he's got the victory, which will keep him locked in, hopefully, and five playoff points. Kind of on a downhill slide. Expect to see him kind of return towards the top here at Talladega. Then the the cut line, here's where it gets important. Riley Herbst in 11th, 
at minus 130, and Landon Castle at minus 141. He's been he's in that 12th and final cut position um, for the Xfinity Series playoffs. Anthony Alfredo at minus 156 is 15 behind him. Then Brandon Brown, Sheldon Creed, rookie. There are 12 more points back, and then Creed is two points behind Brandon Brown. Jeb Burton, Brett Moffitt, and Jeremy Clements, uh, 18th through 18th, all have made all eight starts. One thing I look at here, Landon Castle has been running so well with college racing. We know the uh, championship caliber team that is, Landon Castle, really coming into his own and having his opportunity to shine, uh, coming home second the last race. Uh, I see him getting a victory here this year. I really do. Yeah, I've really been impressed with what he's doing with college racing. It's it's good to see him in that ride. We know it's a good ride, uh, and I'm I'm excited about that. Uh, you know, you always wonder who are going to be the guys that rise to the top when when the Xfinity Series drivers move on to the Cup Series. Um, and I see this. A.J. Allmendinger is really rising to the occasion. I think he has a good chance of going after that championship this year. But he is definitely going to have some tough competition right on his heels. I know right now there's 20 points between him and Ty Gibbs. But I think as the season progresses, we're going to be seeing uh, some of those points kind of tussle around a little bit, uh, especially as some of these drivers get their victories. Uh, because for some of them, I think it's just a matter of time before those victories happen for some of these drivers. Uh, and, again, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be fun to see who really rises uh, to the occasion as the season progresses. Well, in, in talking about that, uh, we saw Brandon Jones get the victory. Josh Berry, uh, we know, is capable of it. Sam Mayer just came so ever so close um, mm-hmm. to picking up his first victory. And then you got Justin Algar, Daniel Hemrick. Again, two we know can pick up victories. I know Daniel Hemrick only has the one, but, again, now being in a college racing, running up front uh, right there with him week in and week out, uh, even further down the list, uh, teammate to Austin Hill, Sheldon Creed. We talked about uh, the talent that he has. Um, kind of maybe a little bit slower start than what we would have expected from him. But I think to see him elevate through as the season progresses. And then our motorsports, uh, and I'm not sure what the, the element here is, Brett Moffitt in the 0-2, we saw over the past couple years in just uh, – what do you call it, Start a single start that Brett Moffitt was able to almost get victories in that team full-time this year. Um, I'm not sure why they got a little off from last year, but to see them recover and get back up in the mix as well. Yes, indeed. Uh, I, I think it's uh, very, very exciting to see um, all these drivers get their opportunity in this Xfinity Series. And uh, uh, some are struggling. You mentioned uh, Austin Hill having a little bit of a backslide after getting his victory. But he's a rookie this season in the Xfinity Series. He has had some very impressive runs. And and I do think that he's going to uh, be one of those drivers that gets better as the season progresses. Uh, I can't wait to continue to see this play out. 
Uh, and you're right, Talladega is going to be a wild card uh, for a lot of these drivers. Uh, but it's also going to be a golden opportunity for some of the other drivers uh, to maybe get that victory that can put them into the playoffs this season. And uh, there's some news here that I want to make sure we cover uh, because Jeff Earnhardt announced this weekend uh, that Kaz Brower driving for Big Machine Racing. Uh, well, there's two big news things. Uh, let me start with Jeffrey Earnhardt because that's where I really wanted to start. Jeffrey Earnhardt is driving in the Xfinity Series race at Talladega for Richard Childress Racing. And then they announced also uh, that Larry McReynolds is coming back to the top of the pit box and will be his crew chief in the Xfinity Series race at Talladega. So uh, he'll be driving also the iconic number three car in that race. So uh, very exciting news for Jeffrey Earnhardt. Uh, he's going to have uh, a veteran crew chief on top of that pit box at RCR. Uh, I think that's really exciting, and I think the fans are going to love it. Yeah, it was huge news to, to see Jeffrey Earnhardt get his chance to drive that iconic number three uh, of Dale Earnhardt. But then to add into the mix uh, how they put this together, how it came about, I don't know. But to have Larry McReynolds as the crew chief um, for him for that race, that is just so awesome. And I think we have that listed on our maybe on our hot topics. But, I mean, that's just awesome all the way around. I hope to wish them the best. Um, just to see that package deal come together, though, has to be such an honor and a thrill for Jeffrey Arnhart and now as well Larry McReynolds as, as the crew chief. Yeah, I just um, – I, I, both of those bits of news were, were kind of exciting news. Uh, Jeffrey Earnhardt back in the number three. Uh, at Talladega, you know, a big track for the Earnhardt family. Um, I just think it's fantastic. Uh, now, the other news that I wanted to mention is Kaz Growla. He's going to be driving uh, for big machine racing in that number 48 car at Talladega. Uh, instead of uh, Jade Buford, uh, Buford, it's going to be Kaz Growla in that car. And it's just a chance uh, for them uh, to bring Kaz Growla into that uh, uh car for Talladega. We know Casparella is going to be really good at that. Uh, and it gives them a chance to evaluate all aspects of the team. Uh, and their goal this year, according to Scott Prochetta, the uh, team owner, uh, they want to run up front. So that's why they're bringing Casparella in to evaluate their program. So Yeah, I know we hit this on hot, Yeah, I know we hit this on Hot Topics. You make the best of this situation. Kaz Grau, obviously a good super speedway racer. We've seen that at, the, at even the cup level. And you mentioned it, of do some evaluation and see where their program is lacking, where they can improve, and having a dr- driver like Grau come in uh, can help make some of those suggestions. And we'll have to see how it plays out after these two races. I believe he's getting two starts there. Uh, they're in Dover, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, indeed. So um, uh, I think Kaz Growler is a good choice. It would be great if we could see Kaz Growler get a full-time ride. I'd love to see him compete in the Xfinity Series or even the Truck Series, for that matter, uh, on a full-time basis. Uh, But we'll see where this leads to. Uh, Another driver getting their debut 
in the Xfinity Series, three races for Sam Hunt Racing this year. Chandler Smith is going to get behind the wheel of the number 26 uh, this weekend at Talladega Super Speedway. Uh, so uh, excited to see Chandler Smith get an opportunity here in the Xfinity Series as well. Most certainly, and, and he's one we knew was going to eventually transition over as well. But I think this is also for Sam Hunt Racing. We've seen multiple different drivers put in some very good performances with that. I see this as maybe the next R Motorsports or Colleg Racing team that once they go full-time, get one driver and go full-time, we're going to see at the top as a championship contender. Hopefully, uh, like I said, for some reason, uh, R Motorsports seem to have taken a little bit of a back step. But Sam Hunt Racing, with multiple drivers, just been phenomenal in every race they've showed up at. Yeah, Chris Lambert's going to work with uh, Chandler, uh, so I think that's going to be really good as well. I'm trying to see what other races. It says three races. I don't know if they've announced the other races yet or not. Did you happen to catch where Uh, the other two races are going to be? I did not. I was going to say, see if it says in there. I know it just said three starting with Talladega. Um, I don't see it in the first little bit. Yeah, I didn't catch it either. I kind of scanned the um, uh, article here. But uh, I am so excited for Chandler Smith to get that opportunity. He's been racing with Kyle Busch Motorsports in the Camping World Truck Series. So now to be able to get that opportunity here. Uh, with Sam Hunter Racing, uh, and, you know, SHR is kind of working with Sam Hunt Racing, so uh, it's kind of an SHR affiliate. So uh, kind of uh, interesting that uh, uh, SHR is part of this because they run Ford. Uh, he's going to be racing a Toyota, uh, this weekend, so uh, just kind of an interesting scenario here happening between Sam Hunt Racing and SHR as well. Yeah, I hadn't even seen it or thought about it from that aspect. You're right; it, it is kind of interesting. But he's one of those drivers. Uh, you know, he has the talent. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see where he goes and what direction. We know we've talked about this. Of Toyota only has so many openings, uh, even in the Xfinity Series, but then on up to the Cup level. Yes, indeed. Okay, we're going to go ahead and move on now to the Cup Series uh, because the Cup Series also raced on dirt. It was another exciting races, uh, another exciting race at uh, Bristol Motor Speedway on the dirt, and. Um, I'll tell you what, uh, there's some mixed reviews of this race out on dirt at Bristol Motor Speedway. I can't wait to talk about this during Hot Topics tonight. Um, But um, uh, Kyle Busch became the winner out at Bristol Motor Speedway this weekend. Well, Mm -hmm. speaking of mixed reviews, that driver has a tendency to bring mixed reviews, right? (laughs) That is true, too. Okay, um, I want to get into this. They raced on Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern out of Bristol. Kyle Busch uh, steals a milestone victory in a wild race on Bristol dirt. 
Uh, he has a special fondness for Bristol Motor Speedway, but the number 18 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota needed a huge stroke of luck on Sunday night to rekindle his love affair with that half-mile track. Now, Bush won the Food City Dirt Race from a distant third place after the Ford of second place Chase Briscoe slid up on the high bank dirt track into the Chevrolet of King Leader of the leader Tyler Reddick in the final corner, turning both cars sideways. Uh, that opened the door for Kyle Busch to win the Food City Dirt Race in the NASCAR Cup Series on Bristol Dirt. The win was the first of the year for Kyle Busch, the ninth at Bristol Motor Speedway in the 60th of his career. He has eight asphalt wins at Bristol. He now has one of the dirt wins at Bristol as well. Tyler Reddick finished second, followed by Joey Logano, Kyle Larson, and Ryan Blaney, uh, along with Alex Bowman, Christopher Bell, Chase Elliott, Michael McDowell, and Kyle Larson to round out the top ten. Reddick was leading uh, Briscoe. He was leading over Chase Briscoe at the white flag and looked to be on his way for his first career win. However, Briscoe dive-bombed Reddick, trying to take the lead and got loose. Uh, that resulted in a spin, taking them both out of, out of the competition. And Bush, who was running more than two seconds back, was able to beat Reddick to the finish line by uh, of a second, three-tenths of a second. The race was red flagged twice for rain, once at the conclusion of stage two and again with less than 30 laps remaining. The pole winner, Chase uh, Cole Custer, pitted on lap 11 in the green with mud on the grill and lost a lap. He was able to get back on the lead lap. He ended up finishing 13th. Stage one was won by Kyle Larson. Stage two by Chase Briscoe. There were six lead changes among five drivers, 14 cautions for 82 yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race, 34.973 miles per hour. Uh, again, it was a six, Cal Bush's 60th victory in 615 NASCAR Cup Series races. Bush is now ranked ninth all time in Cup Series wins. It was his first victory in six top ten finish this year and the first victory and first top ten finish in two dirt races at Bristol Motor Speedway. Tyler Reddick posted his second top ten finish in two races at Bristol on dirt, and it's his fourth top ten finish this season. Joy Logano posted his second top ten finish in two races at Bristol on dirt. Austin Sindrick, who finished 16th, was the highest finishing rookie of the race. In 2005 and 2022, NASCAR Hall of Famer uh, Kyle Busch has tied NASCAR Hall of Famer Richard, who did it in 2000, I'm sorry, 1960 and 1977, has 18 consecutive seasons with a victory, an all-time record in the NASCAR Cup Series. So congratulations to Kyle Busch. Uh, on those milestones in his career. Um, your thoughts about the top 10 results here? Well, first off, I, and we'll answer this question or at least discuss it in Hot Topics, how can you not want to see at least one dirt race 
Uh, huge shout out to Bristol. The, we saw that we talk, talked about this a little bit earlier. The improvement from last year. Yes, there were still some hiccups. Yes, there's still some things that can be approved, but two rain delays you mentioned that were returned to dirt track to raceable conditions. Just huge shout out to the track and the work they did. Uh, going to Kyle Busch, you, you, you congratulated him on the milestones and the records he tied. You got to congratulate him on the win. I mean, he was up there mm-hmm. battling for it. Yes, this one uh, maybe didn't back into it, but had it laid in his lap. But he was up there battling and in contention, and that happened. And, again, we'll talk about that one separately in Hot Topics either tonight or uh, Thursday as well um, to not own that. But, you, you, like I said, he was up there in contention. He had control of the race on, on uh, following that stage two break. Going back to green, uh, he got a little loose and slipped up. I know Tyler Reddick, uh, I think he had dropped back as far as fifth. He had battled his way back up to third, and when what happened in front of him between Briscoe and Reddick, he was there. And, I, I mean, truthfully, uh, you know, he got really lucky because uh, you mentioned the uh, margin of victory. Yeah, it was like a car length to maybe a car length and a half, and that was after Tyler Reddick had spun out, got it going again, and rolling, uh, trying to get across that start-finish line. Kyle only got him by a, uh, a car length and a half. So, again, you go from that great story, the winner, Tyler Reddick in defeat, as well as Chase Briscoe, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, but Tyler Reddick, that win is coming. Uh, you know, dirt, obviously a good place for him. Any track where you run that high line and, and just put it up against the wall and run it, uh, we've seen that in the Xfinity Series. Joey Logano, uh, how do you how does he say he's not a dirt guy? Uh, he won last year's <laughs> event, said he didn't know anything, um, and he admitted this year he was struggling because the track was that much different and better, and it didn't race. It raced more like a dirt track than an asphalt that he said it did last year. But he comes home in third position, and then you had your your dirt regulars, uh, Kyle Larson. And I know Chase Briscoe fell back all the way to – where did Briscoe fall back to? Oh, way back, uh, 22nd. Yeah. He, um, he, he Kyle, took the brunt of that spin. Uh, yeah, he didn't get his straightened out there as before anybody else come by. Um, but Kyle Larson showing what, what he does, his way through the field, back up to fourth as he was a little ways back during the middle part of that. I thought Ryan Blaney was impressive. I know the broadcasters talked about it uh, – he maybe had 36 different colors on his front bumper from the 36 rear bumpers of some other drivers. But, uh, again, dirt track racing lends itself to that. I don't feel he ever spun anybody out, but uh, he certainly did use his nose a little bit. Great run for Alex Bowman. Um, Christopher Bell, another dirt guy. Chase Elliott, uh, I think he set the record over the weekend for the most time spinning out overall. Uh, trucks, I know he was in the truck race practice uh, for cup and trucks. Uh, he spun each one of those out multiple times, come away with an eighth place finish. Again, figured it out, got it under him, knew where the, the limits were, which is what he said he was doing. He was finding that limits while well, he found out what happens when you cross them. And then last, uh, for the top, ninth and tenth, um, two big shout outs. Michael McDowell, I know he's great at Bristol. But, again, not a dirt track racer. Comes home in ninth place. And Ty Dillon, 
really was in contention. I believe they said they re- he ran majority of the race in the top seven, ends up with a 10th place finish. Uh, he was quite impressive to me. Uh, short track was some at the Coliseum, and then especially, again, on dirt. And uh, I know it wasn't a victory, but top 10 run there for Ty Dillon. Yeah, uh, that, it was really good to see that happen. There were several drivers who it was not their night at Bristol Motor Speedway. Caught up in accidents were drivers like J.J. Uh, Yaley, Austin Dillon, Kurt Busch, Kevin Harvick, and Justin Aldauer. A couple of drivers had engine issues. That was Ross Chastain and Denny Hamlin. I felt so bad for Ross Chastain. Uh, when they interviewed him during the rain delay, he kind of knew it was going to be a bad situation when they went back to racing. Uh, but uh, these guys will bounce back. Well, and, and I think uh, he had a very similar pro- problem that Austin Dillon did later in the race, and, and Austin said it. he thanks uh, the other great drivers because his car went dead in the water uh, in the middle of racing. He was in the middle. Uh, he did get clipped a little bit. I know William Byron hit him, but nobody plowed into him. I know that was where Kurt Busch ended up up into the wall trying to avoid it. Yeah. Um, but that could have been real ugly. Uh, like I said, his car, again, they said got dirt into it and just shut down immediately. And uh, he was top 10 maybe. Uh, he might have been inside the top 10. And to come away with only a couple cars bumping into him, um, like I said, Kurt Busch, unfortunately, to avoid it, ended up into the wall. Absolutely. Now, stay tuned for some more Bristol on Dirt Race Talk at 10 o'clock when we have our NASCAR Hot Topic sound off. But, Jay, I want to make sure we hit the points report before we run out of time here. All right. Uh, when it comes to hot topics, are we going to uh, get a chance to talk about anything other than <laughs> Bristol under? <laughs> I'm not it, sure. It, it, it might be on one. To- it might be. <laughs> All right. Give me just a second here with the points. As my dog ate my headphones. All right. For the truck series, uh, this one actually did change. Tommy took over the points lead. Now uh, 32 points, Andy at 29. Oh, no, no, no. Sam I'm talking 20... about the points for the Cup Series. The cu- points for the Cup Series. Just the Cup? Okay. Oh, 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 I'm yeah, sorry. I'm sorry. Covered... I got you. There we go. I'm on We haven't it. covered uh, that yet. Chase is... Yep, I follow you. Uh, my bad. Uh, Chase Elliott is your points leader still. Again, doesn't have a victory yet this year, but still leading the points. It is now a three-point lead over... Ryan Blaney, another one, being consistent week in and week out. Uh, they got two and three playoff points, uh, respectively. Joey Logano, another one, we talked about, got another top five finish. Doesn't have any playoff points, so right now 21 points back. Fourth place, William Byron, two wins and two stage wins. He's got 12 playoff points, which looks like right now is the leading points for playoff points built up. Alex Bowman got a victory in one stage, has six. Kyle Busch has one win now with the five playoff points. Martin Truex right now in seventh, 71 points back, has three playoff points. Ross Chastain, the victory, and one stage win for six playoff points. Common one here, Kyle Larson, same thing. One victory and one stage win, six playoff points. 
10th place is where Chase Briscoe ended up, has a victory, has a stage win, six playoff points built up. 11th through 16th Cup Series, we got to look at the top 16. Tyler Reddick, Eric Almarola, Kevin Harvick, Austin Sindrick, Christopher Bell, and Daniel Suarez. The highlights out of there, Tyler Reddick does have two playoff points built up. Sindrick in 14th, getting towards that cut line, but his comes from a victory. So he's got a victory that will keep him locked in, five playoff points. And then Daniel Suarez right now, the cut line, right at 16th, um, does have one playoff point. And he's currently at 212. Rough finish there. I mentioned Austin Dillon is 17th at 210, only two points back. Chris Busher is only 15 points. I'm sorry, 17 points back. Eric Jones at 194, one more point back. Kurt Busch, two more points back. On 20th, Ty Dillon, great run. He's in that margin. We're already finding that line of maybe having to look for a victory as he is at 166 points, 50-some points uh, roughly behind Daniel Suarez. Uh, either going to need to run, start running a lot more consistent or pick up that victory. Could happen at Talladega. We got that coming up. We should mention also that Brad Keselowski is 30th in the points. If he gets that win, he has to stay in that top 30 in order to be in the playoffs this season. Uh, but, of course, he does start with that 10-point deficit. Uh, but, Wow. <laughs> Uh, I, he's, he's made it into the top 30. That's a, that's a milestone for him this season. Well, you mentioned it. That's step one. You've got to be in the top 30. Now if he gets that victory, that would secure him up. And he was up there, uh, I think, fourth, fifth maybe was as high as he ran, but he was up in the top five mixing it up there at Bristol. And, again, Talladega's a good track for him. It definitely is. Okay, um, we are at the top of the hour, and I'm sorry, I lost my page here, so I have to go back to the studio. Okay, our guys are here already, and I'm looking forward to this. We've got uh, joining us tonight for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. Uh, Jay and I covered a lot of it, and we had to kind of bite our tongue uh, about Bristol on dirt because I know it's going to be a big topic of conversation with tonight. Uh, but joining us for tonight's uh, hot topic discussion is Michael Orzel. Welcome to the show, Michael. Hello. Good to be back, everybody. Okay. Yeah, you've been gone for a couple of uh, shows here. And then also joining us is Tommy Kraft. Welcome back, Tommy. It's good to have you here. Hey, thank you. Hey, thanks for having me. How are y'all? Doing good, doing good. Thank you for filling in again uh, yet tonight. So let's go ahead and start with our hot topics tonight. Mike, I'll let you start us off with the first hot topic. Well, I mean, there's no dancing around it, so we might as well get to it. There were a lot of opinions this past week uh, before and after the race regarding Bristol on dirt. Uh, some drivers were very, very critical of it, like Kevin Harvick. Surprisingly, Kyle Larson was kind of lukewarm on it. Others, like Christopher Bell, were very supportive. A lot of other guys kind of fell in between. And the big question, of course, is should they do it again? 
Bob Proctor has indicated that he thinks that they probably should, if for no other reason than hope to get a good weather day and not be at the mercy of Mother Nature. Remember, last year was rain delayed till Monday, and then last night we had two short, uh, stoppages for rain. Fortunately, we were able to get the whole duration in, but two, we're two for two right now of having Bristol dirt races with serious weather impacts. So. Let's put it out there. Everyone's opinion on the race. Was it something that NASCAR should continue to do? Okay, Tommy, your thoughts. Well, I thought the race was very entertaining, besides it being rained out, which unfortunately has now happened twice for this race. So um, I'm kind of with Bob. I think they should definitely uh, do it again and uh, hope for better weather because I think that would make a difference. But at the same time, now that North Wilkesboro is going to be back, um, why not try to do a dirt race there? I know they said that the cup venue um, wouldn't, it, you know, that the venue wouldn't be able to support a cup race. However, I mean, there was, in my opinion, there wasn't a lot of people there in the stands last night. It was Easter weekend as well. That was a topic of discussion also. Should NASCAR continue to race on Easter weekend? Um, I mean, there's so many different things they can do, but I do agree with Bob on they should come back at least next year and try again and hope for better weather. Um, I guess we'll see with ratings how the race did in a couple of days. And like Kevin Harvick said after the race, he said that <laughs> the uh, ratings will determine whether or not if we come back and do this. So um, I guess we'll see with him, but I just want people to consider North Wilkesboro an option because it is in the mountains of North Carolina. You get the moonshine grassroots race and that are people are talking about. It just makes a lot of sense to, put the dirt on North Wilkesboro and do the dirt race there. However, I do understand that maybe um, the venue wouldn't support NASCAR, but, I mean, I think they can make it work. If they wanted to, they can make it work. Um, however, I guess on a separate discussion, why not just do the uh, bring back the spring race on asphalt instead of doing it on dirt, but then where do they do move the dirt track? So um, lots of moving parts here, but I mean, I thought the race was great last night. I mean, it was very entertaining up until the last lap. Kyle Busch, um, who actually was dogging it last week, came away with the win. So I wonder if he changed his mind on whether or not they should come back or not. So <laughs> now that he's uh, won that dirt race. Okay, Jay, your thoughts. Uh, yeah, how do you not? Uh, like I said, look at the improvements that were made from last year. I mentioned going to a night race. The track prep from the last year to the, this year, absolutely phenomenal. Even with the rain, uh, I don't know the time limit. I know they said it, it was a minimum of 20 minutes, but they got that track back in raceable condition. And possibly, I think Clint Boyer maybe tried to oversell it, I don't know that it was even better or greater after the rain, but it certainly was a racy track. Uh, I understand there's a couple of drivers, and, uh, you know, Kevin Harvick being one of them. Uh, somebody will have to tell me. I did not, I guess, hear uh, Kyle Larson's. I know he's got, he wants it to be a more dirt experience with the taking the windshield out, um, but I, did, I guess I didn't hear anything else as far as the uh, not liking the track. 
but they put on a great race. We saw a variety of possibilities of drivers that could win. Daniel Suarez, Ross Chastain, Austin Dillon was up there. Ty Dillon was up there. Tyler Reddick and Chase Briscoe, and then Kyle Busch coming away with the victory. I mean, what more is it you want from a race? I mean, that's the kind of race that certain people say they want to see. And I will say this, you know, girlfriend Amanda is not a big asphalt NASCAR fan, but watched that one and, you know, made the comment she would want to see it every week if they were racing on dirt. I'm not saying that. I don't want to see every race on dirt. I don't want to see every race at a super speedway or a short track or a road course. It's that variety. And having a dirt race or two, uh, yeah, absolutely bring it back. I'll, second round, I'll go into uh, whether or not it should be at Bristol or Tommy mentioned North Wilkesboro, and I know we've kicked around Eldora. Okay. Uh, yeah, I thought the racing was great at uh, the Motor Speedway. Uh, I, I think that Kevin Harvick's remarks um, are a little bit more sour grapes. Godfather Moody gave a great example on uh, his show today. He said he knew a driver up in Vermont. Uh, there was a track up there that this driver just absolutely hated. And for years, he'd go to that track talking about how much he hated racing at that track. And he never did well. And then one year, uh, he comes to the track, and they talk to him about the, the race. And he had an attitude shift. He said, I'm coming into this race. I've had to really think about uh, coming into this race. He changed his attitude about the race and started thinking about what he could do differently and how he could get a better result at that track. And guess what? He did do much better at that track. So a lot of that has to do with your attitude when you're going into these races. Kevin Harvick has not been having uh, the best of seasons. He struggled a little bit with the new race car, um, uh, and he struggled at Bristol. Uh, I think we just read in the uh, race report uh, that he had uh, some problems at Bristol and he did not finish very well. I think that has a lot to do with what the driver's attitude is about the racing. You're right. Kyle Larson's attitude was he wanted to see the windshield taken out. NASCAR already explained that they couldn't do it this year. It's something that they might consider next year. But there have to be some modifications to the car before they're able to race on the dirt without that windshield. Uh, I'm sure NASCAR is looking at that, and that could be one of the improvements that we see for next year. Uh, in the Bristol race. I think giving this race uh, at least two or three years, uh, maybe three or four years, uh, to really get this under their feet, uh, I think is a prudent thing to do, especially for the cost that they're putting into it. Um, It it wouldn't make sense for them to put that kind of cost into it and then not see it through to get a better result. Uh, I said this the other night, I'm going to say it again. Uh, There was a time when drivers complained about road course racing because they didn't know how to do road course racing. So many drivers did really well over time. And now a lot of these drivers love the road course racing. Uh, I think the same thing can happen on dirt. If we give them a chance to acclimate to racing on dirt, and if, some of these drivers can get a little bit of an attitude adjustment. I, I do think that they'll come to have a different feeling about it. You mentioned Kyle Busch. He probably, he may not still like it, 
but he did get that win. Uh, and I think that could help his attitude about racing on dirt. Uh, one of the reasons why I think dirt should stay on the NASCAR schedule is it brings a different diversity, a different dynamic to the season. It gives other drivers that chance to get a victory to be in the playoffs. Um, I know there's some also talk about whether or not there should be a dirt race in the playoffs. I think not now. I don't think it would be a prudent thing to do to put a dirt race in the playoffs at this venture. But as the drivers evolve with dirt racing, and if we're able to get some other tracks besides Bristol Motor Speedway, I don't think it's necessarily the best venue, but it's the best venue for the current situation. There aren't a lot of tracks that can accommodate a dirt race uh, for NASCAR right now. Are they working on that? Yes, I think that they are. And I think that in the future we will see other venues uh, become available as dirt races for NASCAR-sanctioned event. So, again, this is an evolving uh, situation, and I think we get, need to give it the time it needs in order to evolve, uh, not only uh, from a logistics perspective, but also from a driver perspective and for them to develop their skills racing on dirt. These are the best drivers in NASCAR. And helping, giving them a chance to develop their skills on dirt, we've heard a lot of dirt racers say it makes them better race car drivers on asphalt. So <laughs> let's give them a chance to do that. And I like that these young guys are embracing it and uh, doing very, very well with it. It's a lot of the older drivers uh, that are having difficulty making that evolution. So, uh, Mike, I've got more to say, but, again, I'll catch it on the other side here. Mike, what are your thoughts? You know, it's been a very polarizing topic. There's been a lot of people in favor and a lot of people opposed. Me, my own opinion is polarized. There were some aspects of it that I really liked. There was some really entertaining racing last night. Uh, I thought the battle between Briscoe and Reddick at the end of the race was great up until the point where Briscoe went full send and took the leader out. But other than that, I thought those last 20 laps or so where Briscoe was trying to chase down Reddick, I thought was really, really good racing. And there were some other moments in the race that were also really, really entertaining. On the other side, there's definitely still some teething issues to work out. The unplanned competition caution at the beginning of the race because some but not all cars were getting mud on the grill and overheating. Uh, that's definitely something that NASCAR needs to look at as to why that happened, uh, why some cars had a problem, some didn't, and adopt some sort of a best practice that might be able to avoid that situation in the future. Or, if they're worried about it, schedule a competition caution Lord knows that they don't hesitate to schedule them for most weekends, so the fact that they didn't have one for this weekend and had to do it anyway was kind of a not the best thing. The other thing that I think is a big problem, not just for the cup race, but for the truck race as well as the non-competitive pit stops. I understand that there's the issue with going from the dirt surface to the concrete surface and back again. I'm not sure if that's something they could work around. But I really feel like those non-competitive pit stops at the stage breaks, it really takes the wind out of the sails for the, for the race as a whole. And I don't know what the solution to that would be if there is one, but I think that's a major detriment, uh, especially with the race that Clint Boyer mentioned it last night is extremely long from a dirt race perspective. Maybe not that long from a NASCAR Cup Series perspective, but from a dirt race perspective, it's extremely long. So, 
those are some things to work out from there. They were really fortunate with the timing and scoring issues that they had at the end of stage two and the rainstorm that came in that they were able to get back racing again and they didn't lose the track for the night because I think that would have been a major controversy with the amount of confusion that there was. I understand what the rules are. I understand that NASCAR applied timing and scoring that they had previously said, but the level of confusion that there seemed to be on pit road and the garage and even on TV regarding who was leading, who wasn't, at what point, I, I think it's a good thing that the race got resumed and that all kind of became moot because that could have become another big black eye there. Whether they should do it again, that's the big question mark. And the, the, really, the question isn't from an entertainment standpoint. It's not from an enjoyment standpoint. It's simple mathematics. The reason that we put dirt on Bristol in the first place is because <laughs> the spring race at Bristol on concrete was failing. They weren't getting the attendance. They weren't getting the TV uh, viewership ratings that they needed to get, which in turn caused a problem with getting ad revenue. So they had to do something to revive the, sp uh, the spring Bristol race. Same reason that Charlotte went to the Roval, because the fall Charlotte race was failing. They needed to find something different to do with the facility and putting the, putting the second fall Charlotte race on the Roval as opposed to the, the one-and-a-half-mile oval track kind of revived that fall date. This is kind of an experiment like that with regard to Bristol. And the math equation here is, did this change of the venue, change the event, did that create the additional ticket sales for the grandstands, TV viewership, ad revenue, all those other income sources that were starting to fall behind because of the failing spring Bristol race on concrete, did the change to dirt increase that enough to justify the cost? Obviously, 20,000 truckloads of dirt, which is what they advertised it took to cover that track, 20,000 truckloads of dirt plus the labor to put it down and take it back up again when the event is done, that's a tremendous expense. NASCAR is willing to spend that kind of money. We saw them put over a million dollars into putting a track into the L.A. Coliseum for a one-time race. So if the money makes sense, they'll spend it. But that's going to be the big question about whether they need to do it again or not is going to be does the math add up to financially justify it or at least justify it enough to take the Bob Pocker solution of let's do this again at least one more time, see if we can get a good weather date and really get a good snapshot of is this something that fans are getting behind and opening their wallets to support. And that's going to be the big question going forward or whether we do this again. Okay, Tommy, your follow-up. Yeah, I forgot about that whole stage two dilemma when it started raining and um, – they had just done, like, the race off pit road, and I think Kyle Busch was supposed to be in the lead, but they were saying that if the race ended, that uh, Briscoe would end it because he was leading, um, or he was the winner of stage two, and that's how it would have ended had the race been called for rain there. I forgot about that whole scenario. Um yeah, and I, I missed the beginning of the race. I actually thought the race started at 8, so I missed, like, the first... <laughs> 30 minutes to an hour of it so um but when i picked up on it it had just finished stage two and started raining and um, from what i saw from kevin harvick's comments too uh, i like what she says sharing about sour grapes i was thinking the same thing but um <laughs> i mean i don't i don't know um i would love to see the bristol spring race back on concrete asphalt but like mike said there's a reason why they're doing dirt 
um, at Bristol. But, you know, I, I would hate to say this because I, I would miss it if they did this, but what happens if they do away with Bristol altogether in the spring, take Easter weekend off, and then you have the fall race there? Maybe the fall race would pack Bristol up, and you know, like it used to be. But um, I really liked it when they did the all-star race there uh, a few years ago. Uh, with the lights under the cars. And, you know, thinking about an all-star race for money, I mean, you know some drivers will move the other driver out of the way to win the race for the money. So, I mean, why not do it there every year and chunk it at Texas? Because, I mean, I'm sorry. I'm just not a fan. And, um, But, yeah, uh, Bristol and Martinsville are, the, in my opinion, the best short tracks if you want to lump Richmond in. Uh, we'll have to see about North Wilkesboro. Uh, I know Marcus Smith said that it isn't likely, but, I mean, <laughs> why why even bring back the Speedway if you're not at least going to host, host some sort of race there for NASCAR at least? I mean, do a, a throwback race or I mean, something. But um, in regards to Bristol, I would love for it to be the two dates a year still and both of them be on the normal surface and move the dirt to another track. However, it, I do agree with Bob. I think that maybe next year, hope for the best of the weather and do the race again, and maybe it'll run on schedule like it's supposed to. And then we can assess the situation and see if we need to continue or see if they need to continue doing it. And, um, yeah, but – Overall, the the final laps of that race with Chase Briscoe chasing Tyler Reddick down, it was entertaining. Oh, okay, Jay. Wow, again, so much uh, to go going through my mind. Um, keep bringing up North Wilkesboro. Tommy brought that up, and that's one that I question whether they can even get a truck race in there. As Marcus Smith said, you know, the infrastructure maybe isn't there. But my thing is, is it was said that going dirt racing was taking the sport back decades. How is going back to North Wilkesboro not taking the sport back decades? That, that's why I don't understand that philosophy. Not that I wouldn't want to see it. If they add it to it, I would be thrilled. Uh, if it is only local and regional racing, I am thrilled for that track. And if I am ever in that area, would love to go to it. Um, you know, again, not every track, unfortunately, Chicagoland couldn't even keep a race. So I, I just don't see that going back there with the cup level there um, is the answer. Mike hits, hit on some key things, um, the improvements that need to be made. I don't know that they'll be able to make the, uh, the adjustment to live pit stops. I, I really don't. I understand their safety concerns. The grill issue, one way or another, needs to be addressed, especially for the truck series. Now, mentioned that some of the teams had problems and didn't. They did have the option of some type of slanted plate in the in the front grill that some teams were using and some weren't. Um, and and that was something Amanda and I talked about when you talk about dirt track cars have that slanted nose. Uh, that was my thought, was maybe have some sort of clip-on front nose to represent a better dirt track car or something to put in front of that grill. And like I said, the, the truck series was especially brutal. Uh, the only reason it was a factor in the cup series on Sunday night was because they were the first ones on the track. Other than that, all weekend, 
the trucks had been on the on the race for on the surface first. Um, so that's something to look at. As well as then, what was it Ross Chastain and Austin Dillon with the intakes on the on the hood of the car is where they felt they were getting the dirt sucked in. So yes, there are still some improvements. The weather you can't do anything about. I think about Coda. It rained there the first year. They still wanted to come back the second year for better weather. Uh, and I just had the confidence I have in the improvements we saw from last year to this year to go forward next year. Going to see more improvements now. Whether or not, uh, and I don't know if, Mike, if you have them, uh, please bring them forth. The numbers, I know, at least going into the race, they said ticket sales were on pace to be better than they had for any spring race at Bristol in years. Uh, Whether or not that came to fruition, I know that on TV the crowd looked sparse. Mentioned again, possibility of weather. The Easter thing, I thought NASCAR did a great job of the Easter program that they did prior to the race uh i watched that Uh, i was really proud to see that and i think it was endorsed i understand if there is a different way a better place to put it than easter weekend i understand that especially for teams and drivers that said they wanted that weekend off that is something maybe nascar needs to to look at um of maybe not doing again but i thought they did a great job with it uh for this year um like I said, we'll have to see what the numbers show. As Mike said, television numbers, ticket sales, that is your determining factor. Okay. Yeah, I I agreed um, on the uh, attendance. We had it over Easter weekend. There was weather in the forecast. And um, there was, Adam Stern said, the crowd of first dirt this Sunday is tracking to be the best for a spring NASCAR Cup race at the venue in several races, and that was according to the ticket sales. So the ticket sales were good. Bob Pockrick, a lot of people were saying they thought the track was a third, uh, three-quarters empty. Uh, Bob Pockrick said not true. Uh, it's hard to compare to other races uh, because of the weather impact. He estimates the attendance to be uh, closer to 60 or 70,000 people at the track. Uh, originally, a Bristol was uh, at 160,000 capacity. They took some of the seats out. It's now somewhere between 100 and 120,000 capacity. So it's hard to – it looks empty uh, when – but there's still 60 or 70,000 people there at the track. Um, and that was on the Easter weekend with weather in the forecast. So I think that was a good result. Um, the other thing is uh, uh, it's, it's uh, when you're looking at it from the TV, it's a lot than when you're at the track. I heard a lot of people uh, on uh, Sirius XM today talking about they had a lot of people around them at the track. They didn't they didn't have the same perception. They felt it was a good attendance at Bristol Motor Speedway. As far as the grills, this goes back to, uh, and I heard this on Sirius XM as well. One of the crew chiefs was on, and I'm sorry I can't remember who it was now, but one of the crew chiefs was on. And I think I saw this on Twitter as well. They were very frustrated by that competition caution because NASCAR told the teams before they came to the track what they needed to do to their grills. 
a lot of the teams didn't do it. And that's why there was a problem at the track, and that's why they had to have that competition caution. Now, could there be more done to make it better? Maybe. But those teams didn't do what they were told to do so that they didn't have to have that competition caution. So that's part of the problem. Um, and and I know NASCAR is looking at it as far as how do they make, how do they tell drivers to do or teams what they need to do to, to avoid the problem, and then the teams don't. That's not NASCAR's on the shoulders of the crew chiefs. Uh, it's so that competition caution really should not have had ha- happen. Um, so we can't necessarily blame NASCAR for that. Now, NASCAR's in the position that they're going to have to go in and look at it and say, how do we make this imperative that you guys need to do this so that they do it? Um, so I, I just think that there's a couple of perceptions that are being formed here based on inaccurate information or not enough information out there for people to, to base their perceptions on. Uh, and I think that that leads into why we need more time uh, to have these dirt race at Bristol. Uh, I think some of the perceptions are coming from drivers that just aren't adapting to the change that's happening in NASCAR very well. So I, 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 and I think fans are kind of falling into kind of the same thing. Um, I think it goes back to that driver up in Vermont that just had this perception that this track was a bad track, and he went in and performed not well. Uh, once he changed his perception, things went better. Uh, I've got to stop here and do the announcement for our first-time listeners right now. Um, and that is that we're going to go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern time. But we are going to continue our conversation, and we will continue to record that conversation past that time. Uh, in order for you to hear the rest of that conversation, when we complete our conversation here tonight, we're, I'm going to go out on Twitter and let you know that the podcast is available. At that point, you can go to fanforracing.com, and we have a podcast player there. You can fast forward to the two-hour mark to hear the rest of our conversation. And it's especially for first-time listeners, we just didn't want you to be caught off guard and not know how you can uh, hear that information or hear that conversation. So uh, with that, I just think that um, fans, some fans, it seems like they go into the races every single race, and they're just looking for something to be wrong with the race uh, so that they can complain. It becomes a habit after a while. And I just wish fans would go into the races, especially if they're NASCAR fans. People were complaining about Kevin Harvick today complaining about NASCAR when he should be promoting the sport that he drives for. Um, if, if we are supporters of this sport, why are we trying to find things to complain about instead of looking for the good things that are happening in NASCAR? I wish fans would go into these races looking for the positive instead of constantly looking for the negative. Uh, and that's just me kind of blowing up some steam there. I, 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 
I know that we want this sport to be successful into the future, but if we have fans that are constantly complaining, that puts a bad look to this sport. And I wish fans would find more reasons to really like NASCAR and support it than giving the negative impression all the time about what's wrong with NASCAR. Mike, I'm curious to hear your response. Yeah, a lot to unpack there. Um, Real quick answer to your question, Sharon, about what should NASCAR do about teams who don't follow their, I guess advice would be the way to, to describe it since it wasn't a required modification. Well, the answer is do nothing. If the teams choose not to do the advised solution that NASCAR gives them with regard to keeping the cars from overheating, let them overheat, let them blow up, let them park. But eh, that's probably not the best in terms of a show if your favorite driver decides he's going to blow up. I think Chase, Chase Briscoe was one of the guys, I think all the SHR cars, including Briscoe, had overheating issues. So I'm sure Andy wouldn't have been happy if, if Chase Briscoe had blown up on lap 15 because his team chose to disregard the advised solution from NASCAR. So eh, it's going to be what it's going to be. Well, with regard to the attendance, Jay, to answer your question, no, I don't have any firm numbers. I've got the same stuff that Sharon referenced there about subjective opinions of what the crowd looked like, people just looking and seeing, hey, this place looks 25% full, 30% full, 60% full. (laughs) That's all I've got right now. And since these tracks are not publicly traded anymore, they're all all held by privately owned companies, these these companies won't need to disclose their actual attendance figures. So unless they come out and say what it was, we may never know. And as far as it being the best spring race in a long time, that's great to hear. I really hope that it was. The question is, there's a threshold somewhere. I don't know what it is, but one additional ticket sold is probably not enough to justify the expense. Two, ten, a hundred. I don't know what that number is. Somebody does. I'm sure somebody's done the math on it. So the question is, did the ticket sales exceed that threshold in order to justify the expense of putting on the race? I don't know. Time will tell. We might find out more. I know they hinted at doing another Bristol dirt race next April in 2023. I don't think that they confirmed it. It was just kind of a tentative. We're planning on doing it again. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't believe anyone official from NASCAR has said, yes, for sure, we are doing this again. And I think that's probably because they're going to look at the numbers from this past weekend and see if it financially justifies the expense of turning Bristol into a dirt track for a third year in a row. Would I like to see a dirt track in the NASCAR Cup Series? Ah, I don't know. I could take it or leave it. this past weekend, like I said, there were, some, there were some great parts of it. There were some not-so-great parts of it. Can they improve on it to the point where the great outweighs the not-so-great? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Um, if they do decide they want a permanent dirt track on the schedule, well, I don't think it should be Bristol as a permanent dirt track. Uh, for one thing, we already talked about the expense of doing it. For the other thing, there's a lot of great dirt tracks out there that could use the exposure of a NASCAR Cup Series race coming to town. And I think – if the Bristol Spring Race continues to be a, a, a downward-trending event like it has been to justify the dirt race to begin with, well, as much as I love Bristol, 
I wouldn't be upset about Bristol losing that spring date if it meant it went to a deserving venue that's going to be able to put on a great show that fans can get behind and enjoy. And to your point regarding fans finding something to complain about, Sharon, I know I tend to be, for lack of a better word, a little negative sometimes, but there's a difference between constructive criticism, pointing out things that need to be improved for the sake of improvement versus just finding fault. I don't know. I'd like to think I strike the balance. I'm sure some people don't necessarily agree with me. But then again, even the drivers who are employed by – well, they're not employed by NASCAR, but they drive for NASCAR. They're not NASCAR's PR department. And a lot of the criticism that we see regarding current drivers from fans has has to do with them being too corporate, too buttoned up, too big a salesman. NASCAR drivers are not NASCAR's PR department. And if they just start becoming carbon copy – spokesman for the sport and for the brand, the fans are going to see that as disgenuine, and I think that might end up doing more harm than good. So I'd be careful what I wish for right there. As far as what we're going to see next year, I'm sure we'll talk about it in a future edition of Hot Topics. We already spent over half an hour on this one, so we can move on. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't saying that I said a fan made that comment. That was not my comment. Another fan made that comment. Okay. Um Let's go ahead and move on. Tommy. I want to bring up the uh, video game one that Mike posted about um, NASCAR and uh, the video game. Um, who is it? Motorsports games. Um, they are NASCAR's going to get out of that contract with them. So a uh, new game this year. Okay. Uh, Jay? Well, it has been a while since I've had uh, had any of the NASCAR games. I know there were a couple back in the day that I liked. Uh, that is one of those uh, you, you have to listen to the consumer, I guess. And I know Mike's going to chime in. He's actually had some experience with it. It seems to me that in this case of the the popular uh, answer or um, viewpoint on it is not good. So yeah, I do think they need to uh to to reevaluate that. I know right now a lot of it is is that maybe the importance on the individual gaming systems isn't there because it's all gone towards the iRacing uh deal and that's where their focus is. Um but there obviously is a lot of fans that are still uh interested in in utilizing it, especially again to me of younger kids, you're not going to buy a 5-year-old a simulator. So if that's where you're going to start them is on a gaming system that, yeah, there does need to be something. And I've always been a fan of EA Sports. Uh, I don't know why that contract uh, got let go, but uh, overall, any of the uh, sporting video games, EA Sports does a great job. So I do think they need to look at it, whether or not they can get out of the said contract. Uh, I don't know, but... Um, EA Sports would be my answer, just from past experience. Okay. Uh, Tommy. I'm sorry, Mike. <laughs> it's Mike's turn. Sure, no problem. Yeah, I've, I've dabbled in some of the NASCAR games before. Uh, most recently, I've, I've played with iRacing. I've also played with uh, NASCAR Heat 4 was the, the most recent NASCAR game that I've played. Um, iRacing, 
is a huge barrier to entry. It is not a, a, a game that casual fans are going to pick up and race. Um, financially, it's a pretty big investment to get into iRacing. You can't run it on an Xbox or a PlayStation. It has to be run on a PC and a fairly high-end gaming PC at that in order to have the kind of frame rates and graphics in order to, to not really drag down the entire race because your system is running behind. In addition to that, you need to buy a wheel and pedal setup that starts at about $300 for just your basic entry level all the way up. You can I, We saw some of the, the, the rigs that some of the pro drivers were using when NASCAR was down for COVID and they were doing the iRacing tournaments uh, on TV. Um, so tens of thousands of dollars you could easily dump into there. iRacing itself, the software, I believe is a $10 or $15 per month subscription fee in addition to each piece of content every track or car that you want to have is a additional purchase of somewhere between ten and twenty dollars depending on what it is that you're purchasing so you can see if you start doing the math how iRacing can add up very 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 quickly to become a very expensive thing to try and get into and even when you get into it it is a very, just like a real race car, iRacing tries to be as real as possible. And real race cars are tough and unforgiving to drive, and iRacing is just as tough and unforgiving. So not really accessible to just a casual guy walking through the store saying, hey, I want to try that NASCAR game. iRacing is not the game for them. So that's where you get your NASCAR Heat 4, NASCAR Evolution. Um, I think they're just calling the current, current one NASCAR 2021 is the most current um, Xbox and PlayStation, I believe PC available game as well. And I have not seen a kind word said about that. I can say from personal experience, NASCAR Heat 4 was terrible. Uh, Heat Evolution prior to that was just as bad, if not worse. And a lot of fans, especially older fans, are really quick to disregard the video game realm as, well, that's just for kids or it's not important to the sport. I beg to differ. I think that that's a massive part of NASCAR's potential outreach to get people involved and interested in the sport, learning about the sport, learning about the different personalities of it, the aspects of how you manage a race in terms of pitch strategy and things like that. Look at how popular the Madden NFL games are to get people interested and knowledgeable about professional football. NASCAR has tried to have an equivalent to that, but really the gold standard of NASCAR video games is still NASCAR 2003, a video game that's coming up on its 20th birthday, is still considered to be the very best video game that NASCAR has ever put out with their name attached to it. So I really hope that a change of video game publisher and an increased focus on the quality product can get NASCAR in front of some more gamers, get them interested in the sport, and Maybe they, maybe they come out and watch it race live because they, were, they decided to pick up that video game on a rainy Saturday and try something else new, got hooked on it, and now they're a race fan watching live races in the stands. Yeah, uh, you kind of took the thoughts that I was thinking too, Mike. Um, it seems to me like uh, if NASCAR wants to get more people involved in racing uh, through these games, and maybe even in their iRacing platform or uh, e-NASCAR platform, uh, they're going to have to make it easier for fans to get into it. Uh, and so that could be part of what's behind this. I'm not really an iRacer or an e-NASCAR racer. I don't know a whole lot about it. I know one is is um, 
uh, more of a gaming platform and the other is more of a PC platform. Uh, but um, uh, I think if NASCAR is looking to engage fans in that venue of racing, uh, it's important that they do it in such a way that it's user-friendly. And cost would be a big part of that. Um, so that's about the only thing I can kind of add to this conversation. <laughs> I, other than that, I, I don't have any experience with it. I can tell you years ago, somebody gave me the 2003 uh, NASCAR uh, game, and uh, uh, I, I, I have looked at it a couple times and raced with it a couple times, uh, but it, it, uh, I was afraid I couldn't use it anymore. <laughs> So, but, yeah, it's funny that that person just gave me that. Uh, but anyway, um, uh, I just think that they need to make it more user-friendly and easier to have access to. So, Tommy, what are, what are your thoughts? So, um, originally on the PlayStation 2, my first ever video game was NASCAR Thunder 2004. I swear those EA Sports games were – so I'm going to go down the, the path that Mike went here. Kids are huge to the sport. Madden is huge. So that's kind of how I'm here talking on the podcast, in my opinion. Like, it started out with Diecast, Jeff Gordon, the Rainbow Car, then the Flame Car, uh, Dale Earnhardt. Um, I have tons of Diecast. Um, I'm about to move here soon, and I'm going to have an office, and I'm going to set all of it up, and then I'm going to show it to everybody so that way everybody can see all the diecasts. But that's where it started. Very first video game was NASCAR Thunder 2004, the one with Tony Stewart on the cover with his glasses. Um, they NASCAR needs to find a way because the last video game I played or that I bought was um, – like the 2011 Xbox 360 uh, NASCAR game, and I think it had the five car of Mark Martin, GoDaddy car, and um, another car racing on it. Maybe Junior was on the cover. It's like 2011. Oh, I know what it was. It was Junior in the Amp car in like 2010 or 2011. It would have been that NASCAR game for the Xbox 360. That, in my opinion, was the last good game I played on NASCAR. Um, my fiance's stepdad has um, the Heat games, and I've played them, and Mike, you're right. They're horrible. They're terrible. I mean, they're not good. Um, Thunder 2004, I've heard that 03 and 02 are just as good. I don't have those. I haven't played those. Actually, I have played 03, but I don't. It's been a very long time. So NASCAR Thunder 2004, then 05, 06, 07, 08, and 09. Those were the best NASCAR games, in my opinion, all made by EA Sports. They all had Jeff Gordon on the cover, Jimmy Johnson, Elliot Sadler. And another important part of the video game was you would play it, you would unlock the paint schemes as you go, you would unlock the tracks as you go. You could turn the yellow flag off and drive backwards and wreck all the cars. I mean, everything was great, the damage, the fire, the flipping, I mean, it helps make you a fan, just like you said. You play Madden, and then you start watching it. You just play NASCAR games, collect the diecast long enough, you'll 
just start watching it, going to the track, and you're a fan and you're addicted. You're hooked. Um, at least that's how it went for me. It started with diecast, when 164 diecast, then NASCAR Thunder 04, and then I started playing NFL 2K5 or 4 with Carol Owens on the cover, and then I was a Patriots fan because they were the best team on the game. Okay, Jay. Yeah, I, I think it's pretty much all be said. There, there's an issue here, and, and it needs to be looked at. Uh, see what they can do with the contract. Uh, you know, as I said, EA Sports. Uh, you guys keep mentioning a couple, and I'm trying to think if it was 05 or 06. One of them was the NASCAR Total Team Control. Uh, that's the one I, I most recently had played. Um, I like that one again because it shows some of the ownership style. But I think the key element, Mike kind of hit on it, there is the iRacing or even the um, any online racing if you want to invest that. But what about the ones that can't or maybe don't want to take it to that level if you still have just a solid, good, uh, regular video game for the gaming systems that at least gets their interest in it and then follow it at the track or go to a race um, without going to that next level of necessarily iRacing or that kind of investment. So... Uh, I do think they need to look at it. I know it's one, again, I haven't in a, in a while, but uh, when I got into it, certainly did, was was playing. And, and EA Sports, like I said, I, I said that to begin with. I, I think that's that's where you, the direction you want to go. Okay, Mike, do you follow up? Sorry, fumbling with the mute button. I'm here. I swear I did not get disconnected this time. Um, anyway, okay. uh, we've, we've, we've covered a lot of ground here. Uh, just, I'm, I'm kind of with Tommy. I really wish there was a better NASCAR game because I spent a lot of time sitting in hotel rooms with nothing to do, bored out of my mind. And it's not practical for me to bring a steering wheel and pedals and a whole iRacing setup. So I can't, I need a, a, if I want to go do a NASCAR video game when I'm sitting in the hotel room, I have really no good options. I've got a couple really bad options, and that's about all I've got. So hopefully NASCAR is able to come up with something that is approachable and a quality game that a guy like me can come play when I'm stuck on the road for a week at a time without access to do anything but sitting there and stare at a TV screen. Uh, what I could do, though, Sharon, um, your copy of NASCAR Thunder 2003, remember how I said it's kind of the gold standard for NASCAR games? Well, it is such the gold standard that there is a community of modders for the game, and they still create updates for NASCAR Thunder 2003. So you can get 2022 uh, paint schemes, drivers, it, they they. they it's a little janky. It's not going to be perfect like it was finished from the studio, but there's that much support behind a 19-and-a-half-year-old video game that there are fans who are out there keeping that game alive. Um, so there is still that interest out there that NASCAR has the opportunity to tap into if they can only find a studio that would make a video game that would be as good and enduring as NASCAR Thunder 2003. I have to check that out. I don't have anything really to add, so Tommy, I'll let you have the last word here. Please bring back NASCAR Thunder. It really was the best. The <laughs> 03 one that you're talking about with Junior and the one with Stewart on the cover from 04, and I think Jeff Gordon was on the one for Thunder 2002. 
And, Jay, I had the 06 pedal team control. I was going with Jimmy and Jeff calling it. And what was cool about that was you could start going backwards on the track, switch to your teammate, and then see the wreck in front of you. I tried doing it recently on the PS2 um, like a year or so ago. And I think you had to have two players doing it in order for that to work or something like that. I don't I don't know. I think I tested it, but <laughs> um, just crazy. But uh, they need to look into it, and the iRacing thing is probably the future. And I even want to do the iRacing stuff myself. But, yeah, you got to buy a seat and a pedal and a steering wheel and the TV monitor. I mean, it's kind of expensive, and – and you, I'm sure you got to be really good at it because it looks like you got to shift and do all that stuff. I mean, I just want to pick up a controller and race or go backwards if I want to and total the field. Is that the uh, Natalie oh, okay. Decker experience? Go ahead. I was just making a joke. Never mind. I'll uh, I'll rescind my joke. Right, it was just <laughs> fun to go backwards and Make it like do it at Talladega or Daytona, and you'd have the huge pile up with all the fire and flames, and it would show all the damaged cars. And it, everybody has gone backwards in an NASCAR video game and done that. I can't be the only one. <laughs> okay, uh, Jay, we can close this one out, and it's up to you to bring up our next hot topic. Okay, well, I'll close it out of I already have one driver that is barred from the Jay Hoosman Cup when it happens, and that's Tommy because I'm not allowing any drivers to drive backwards. <laughs> um, to, uh, next hot topic, I will bring up this one just so I can tell Mike he's wrong. Uh, Cody Ware was upset with Chase Elliott at Bristol Rest it on the track. No, I do not think you are being biased, Mike. Uh, talk about that, whether whether or not that was, should have been penalized, I guess. I mean, I don't know if that's where he was going with it, but Cody Ware used his car as a bumper car. He didn't go. He didn't turn around backwards and wreck the field, though. Okay, Mike? Yeah, we saw this. Um, I want to say it was... In the middle of stage two, I could be wrong on my timing. It's not super important. But apparently Cody Ware felt wronged by Chase Elliott. We didn't see the initial contact between the 9 and the 51, so I'm not sure exactly what started it. But under caution, Cody Ware came up and rammed the 9 car a couple times. Didn't quite get him turned around, but he hit him pretty hard. And uh, said some choice things on the radio. Obviously, Elliott's radio had some, some other stuff on there as well. And kind of my beef with that is it's one thing to, you know, you're racing a guy under green and you, you don't give him any room and, and maybe you run him up the track, something like that. But to intentionally ram another car under caution, I think that's a big foul, and I think that should be penalized heavily. We saw Ty Dillon get penalized following the Martinsville race for ramming another car on pit road after the checkered flag had fallen. Maybe not as egregious when it's two cars out on the actual racing surface under yellow, but it's still a pretty big deal. Drivers are known to loosen the seatbelts, you know, stretch their legs, get a little bit of relaxation when they're under yellow because of the intensity of green flag racing. So it could very well have been that Elliott was sitting in that nine car with his belt loose and maybe getting a simple, something like that where he's not, he's not prepared to take an impact like that. You could really hurt 
somebody. So, like Jay said, using your car as a weapon, always a foul. And NASCAR hasn't released their penalty report for the Bristol Dirt Race, but I do really hope they come down on Cody Ware pretty good for this and send the message that it is never acceptable to use your race car as a weapon, no matter how wrong do you feel like you were on the track. Okay. Uh, I did happen to catch Rick Ware on um, SiriusXM today, and his perspective, and I'm just representing his perspective at this point, was that Cody Ware was trying to send a message to uh, Chase Elliott, because as we know, sometimes the NASCAR, uh, the cup drivers, uh, sometimes feel like some of the drivers don't belong on the racetrack or whatever. And he felt like Cody Ware was standing up for himself uh, because he was doing a good job of racing. Uh, and uh, Chase Elliott, I guess, had sent a couple of messages uh, that he he was uh, frustrated with uh, Cody Ware. Uh, now, that's his perspective. I agree with you guys. This was after the caution came out. He had no business trying to send a message with his car. Uh, He could send a message through his spotter. He could send a message um, in a lot of other ways other than using his car to send that message. Um, I, I do think that there should be a penalty, especially after they gave the penalty to, to Ty Gibbs. Uh, I'm curious to see what it's going to be because I thought the Ty Gibbs penalty was not nearly as much as it should have been. Uh, but um, I, I do think that uh, Cody deserves to get a penalty for using his car on the racetrack. If you remember, Kyle Busch did that with Ron Hornaday a few years back, and there was a lot of fallback fall about Kyle Busch using his car on the track uh, in the truck series, or his truck, I should say. Uh, so, yeah, that is never acceptable. Uh, there are a whole lot of other ways that you can send a message and have a conversation with the driver other than using your car. Uh, never a good idea, and it needs to be penalized. Um, uh, Jay, you're up next. Well, it- Unfortunately, I'm afraid that, that I don't know if we'll see the penalty. Uh, I'm with you. I think it should be. And the fact of um, what Chase Elliott's response was, he felt like he was going after the tire. Uh, going up and nudging somebody or rubbing alongside the door or swerving at him is one thing. He, he, like Mike said, he, can, he went up and thumped him pretty good and then came around him to the side. And after watching it back, what Chase Elliott was saying, it really did look like he was aiming at the, the rear tire, the left rear tire, trying to pop that tire. Uh, you know, in the older cars, that would have worked a whole lot better, I'm sure, but uh, this new car, that's not going to work. I do think it was a, really over-aggressive. Sharon already stole the uh, the flashback to Kyle Busch and Ron Horner day there. Um, I do think, though, if NASCAR were going to have done something, they would have announced during the race, either parked him during the race or called him to the hauler, and we never heard that announcement that he had been. And normally if that happens, they do announce it, uh, the broadcast team. So the fact that that didn't happen during that race, at least that he was being called to the hauler, 
I'm not sure we're going to see a penalty, and I think that's wrong because, again, you know, we agreed the, the message they sent to Ty Gibbs was kind of weak with just a monetary fine, and if this one goes without any, I just don't see it as consistency, and I know Mike likes that word, the consistency. Uh, I would have to agree. I think he should be penalized, and I thought it was uh, over the line. Okay, Mike, follow up. I'm kind of with you guys. Uh, I was surprised that NASCAR really didn't address the situation on Sunday night, at least in an official capacity. Uh, maybe we missed it. Maybe they did end up calling Cody to the hauler and, and having a discussion with him. Remember, they they called Kai Gibbs to the hauler before even the race ended at Martinsville for not checking up fast enough when the caution flag came out. So you would figure that if NASCAR is going to call somebody to the hauler for something that seems relatively minor like that, that intentionally ramming another driver on the racetrack, you would figure that would that would at least merit a discussion at the hauler. So maybe it did, and we just didn't hear about it. I'm hopeful that that's the case because, like Jay said, I don't think that something like this should go unpunished. And I agree that the, the $15,000 fine on Ty Gibbs, especially on a driver and a team like Ty Gibbs drives for in the Xfinity Series, $15,000 is nothing to that team. Uh, a points penalty would have been a, a much bigger hit to them. As far as Rick Ware Racing is concerned, let's not kid ourselves, they're not in the championship hunt. So a, a, a points penalty for Rick Ware Racing might not be as substantial as a monetary fine. So NASCAR has a published schedule of potential fines for their enforcement actions, and some of it is monetary, some of it is points, and NASCAR has the discretion to apply the penalty in the way that they feel is best suited for the for the given situation. So in a team like Rick Ware Racing, where maybe a financial penalty would hurt them more than a points penalty, that may be the case where a fine is a better penalty versus a guy like Ty Gibbs where points would have been a better penalty. I don't know. It, it opens the door to some inconsistency, like Jay said, but I guess we'll have to wait till Tuesday or Wednesday is usually when the, the penalty reports come out. So we'll see if NASCAR does take any action, and we can talk about it again Thursday. Okay, Tony? Yeah, um, I kind of like what Cody said on the, the radio at first, where he's like, you know, I'm not going to be bullied by these guys anymore, and then he went after Chase Elliott. But they fined Ty Gibbs last week for doing it to Sam Mayer. I like you guys. I don't think he should be going after the car on the, the caution lap, and I don't think NASCAR is going to be about it either. I'm sure he's going to get fined for that, and he should. Um, should they start docking them points? I mean, that'll definitely get their attention, but at the same time, I'm sure a fine will work. Maybe find them more, and then they really will stop if you start finding them more money, but they do that in the NFL all the time, and it still happens. So uh, I don't know what the solution will be there, but I think we'll definitely see a sign coming for him doing that. Um, I mean, watching the replay of it, um, Chase Elliott did get into him, and, you know, I don't I don't know if, if it needed all that, all the driving during the caution like that. But they find Ty Gibbs for it, so I'm pretty sure they're going to find – Cody for doing it as well. Yeah. I, even if NASCAR missed it during the race, and that's why they didn't call into the hauler or call attention to it during the race, uh, there's enough video footage out there. There's enough uh, radio coverage uh, from both of the drivers and the comments that they made because Chase Elliott, 
was like, who the heck was that? <laughs> and his his uh, driver, I mean, his spotter came on and, and told him who it was and everything. So if NASCAR reviews the audio and the video coverage, because I watched the video of it, uh, so I'm sure it's available to NASCAR as well, uh, I, I'm I'm pretty positive that they're going to come, have to come up and say something uh, with the precedent that's been set with Kyle Busch and, and with the Ron Hornaday situation in the truck series and with the situation between Ty Gibbs and what happened with them off the track uh, at, uh, at uh, that race at Richmond. Um, so it would be a huge, huge <laughs> misstep, I think, if NASCAR missed uh, miss doing anything with regard to Cody Ware in this situation. Rick Ware gave his perspective, and I respect that, but at the same time, he cannot condone. <laughs> I, I don't think anybody can condone using your race car on the racetrack like that, especially during the caution. So um, uh, I do think NASCAR is going to probably review the same information that we have available to us and make their decision. Uh, hopefully we'll hear sometime tomorrow or Wednesday. Jay? Did we lose Jay? Looks like he's still 10. here. It may have you... cut him off. No, he looks like he's still here according to my page. Uh, let me refresh it and see. Nope, he's still here. Are you on mute, Jay? Okay, I don't know what happened to Jay. He looks like he's still in the queue. Uh, but uh, I'm not hearing anything from him. Okay, so I guess Jay won't get the final word on that. <laughs> um, let's go ahead and do our roundtable. Mike, we'll start with you. Sure, it's going to be Mike underscore Rizzo on Twitter, Mike double underscore O on Reddit. Big news, I will be available for the Thursday PM show. And I'm looking forward to having two in a row here before I go back to work for the next two weeks after that. But, hey, let's, let's take the little victories while we've got them. And speaking of little victories, this isn't a little one. This is a big one. I'm going to Talladega this weekend. I am pumped. I am ready. I cannot <laughs> wait. It is my, one of my favorite races of the year, and I can't wait to be there in person. You and Tommy. Tommy likes that track, too. Uh, and uh, it's good to have you back. I know you weren't here for a couple of weeks, and, and we'll miss you when you're not here for the next couple of weeks, but I'm glad you'll be on Thursday night. Uh, have fun at Talladega. Um, I am Fan for Racing site on Twitter, Fan for Racing blog and radio, everywhere else, including our website, fanforacing.com, where we have our podcast player. Uh, and uh, I know uh, we've got all the recaps up from the weekend of racing. Looking forward to Thursday night's show. I wish Jay was here. Uh, Thursday night we have Charles Head coming on uh, board as our guest. He is a race announcer, and uh, we've been trying to bring uh, different people from different uh, areas of the sport, and uh, that's going to be a fun interview with him on Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern time. We have Amber Balkan on the show uh, tonight at 
during our second half hour, and uh, we had a really great interview with her uh, and really touched on the fact that she'll be racing for the first time at Talladega this weekend, but she said she's got a lot of info from uh, Daytona that she thinks is going to help her. So go back and uh, check that interview out as well. And uh, a big shout-out to our listeners for tuning in. We appreciate each and every one of you, whether you're listening to the podcast or the live broadcast. We appreciate you taking time out of your day to hear what we have to say. We have a lot of fun doing the show. And, of course, uh, a big shout-out to our family racing crew here tonight, uh, Jay Hughesman, uh, Mike Rozell, and Tommy Kraft. I appreciate all that you guys do. I and uh, always look forward to our radio shows on Mondays and Thursday night. Uh, Monday night, just to give you a heads up of uh, what's coming up on Monday night, we do have Greg Van Altsback uh, on the show at 9 p.m. on Monday, and uh, he likes racing at Daytona, so I'm kind of curious. Uh, He did real well in the practices and qualifying and everything at Daytona. I'm kind of anxious to see what he does at Talladega. So happy that we're going to get a chance to kind of talk to him after this Talladega race on Monday night. So uh, with that, I think we're ready to call it a night, guys. Uh, Looking forward to the racing this weekend at Talladega as well. And uh, talking about it on our previous show starting at 8.30 p.m. on Thursday night. With that, guys, we'll call it a night. Good night, everybody. Good night to all.